As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Episode 299 of Alohomora for June 6, 2020. Another episode of Alohomora, MuggleNet.com's in-depth exploration of the Harry Potter series. I'm Allison Sigurd. I'm Grace Candido Beecher. And I'm Irvin Capeman. And I'd like to welcome our guest today, Helene Karp. Hello. Hi. Hi, Helene. Hello, everyone. Yay, Helene. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you're a member of our uh, MuggleNet podcast family. Uh, but for those of our listeners who don't listen to all the other podcasts, uh, tell them a little bit about yourself. Yes. Uh, my name's Helene. I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I joined MuggleNet uh, about a year and a half ago at this point. That's crazy. Time flies by so fast. Um, and I co-host Speak Beastie, our Fantastic Beast podcast, as well as Accio-Politics, um, which is a Harry Potter reread through the lens of politics. So go listen to him if you haven't yet. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, and your house? I am a Hufflepuff. Hi. Yes. <laughs> love love the Hufflepuff pride. I love those puffs. And then I don't know if you guys care about like Ilvermorny or anything like that, but I'm a Pukwudgie um, with a Dolphin Patronus and a Maple Wand. So that is my Potter profile. <laughs> I used to have a Dolphin Patronus. A Dolphin? Way back when. Really? Yeah, I used to have one. When I got resorted, I also did the Patronus test again and I got a real floofy cat, which I feel like probably suits me a bit more. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah, I got a dolphin the first time I took the quiz, and I was like, absolutely not. And so I read <laughs> Grace, in my mind, your Patronus is the cat version of Yzma from Emperor's New Groove. Oh, nice. <laughs> the nice. little kitten. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So yeah, cute. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Is that my voice? Yeah. That, that really makes you want to watch the movie now. <laughs> oh, isn't it the best movie? Wrong lover. Emperor's New Groove. Uh, Helene, who's your favorite marauder? My favorite marauder is Lupin. Definitely. The best choice. Okay. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> Lupin is not the marauder we're going to be talking about this week, because this episode is about Peter Pettigrew. Uh, and uh, we're doing Peter Pettigrew this episode in honor of the anniversary of Peter escaping um, Hogwarts and um, Sirius and Lupin and everyone uh, in June of 1994. Boo. <laughs> well, Boo, please. indeed. <laughs> <laughs> well played. But someone we are not going to boo is our Patreon sponsor this week, who is Ashley, who is also known as So. <laughs> That's a great name. It's so great. And this is a second time sponsoring on Patreon. And remember, listeners, you can become a sponsor for as little as $1 a month. We've got lots of great content that's been coming out. Um, we've recorded a lot of extra stuff lately. Yeah, so much. Um, so go to patreon.com slash more to find out more. Yeah, Patreons. Uh, I'm hosting dance classes over on Patreon. There is that. <laughs> um, so if you have always wanted to learn some dancing Death Eater routines, which I suspect a few of you always have. I mean, we are talking about a Death Eater today, so I think it's, it's, I think it's high time. Yes. I do not have any uh, Peter Pettigrew-themed dances yet, but that could be a thing we work on. What would it be? Just, like, scurrying? <laughs> yes, but, like, in a sexy way. Sexy, sexy scurrying. scurrying. I, can, I can see it. I can do it. I can do that. Oh, my. <laughs> but that brings us to our shout out, Maxima! From episode 297, Ring Composition, Part 2. <laughs> I love how it's in French for some reason. Yeah, I don't yeah, know why we did touch. that, but we just have. I think it sounds uh, refined or something. I don't know. It Either does. Way, it sounds classy. It's, it's good. It's good. I went through uh, all the wonderful and intelligent and awesome comments that you guys left because y'all are way smarter than I. <laughs> and I picked out a few that really, really intrigued me. Uh, the first one, and I, I think that I, I took bits and pieces from a few of them because a few of them were on the lengthier side. But um, the first one was, I think ring theory is an interesting way of analyzing. The oh, wait, no, let me say who it's from first. It's from Lisa. And I know uh, there's similar comments that came from Critique Boy and Irvin also. Irvin, you mm -hmm. definitely chimed in on this one. But I, I think always do. Yeah, you do. Way to go, bud. Uh, <laughs> I think ring theory is an interesting way of analyzing the text. One problem with it is potentially that you only find what you're looking for and that you tend to ignore things that don't really work in the theory. Which is a problem in most literary analysis, by the way. Cherry picking and all that. I can definitely see the parallels between the ending of uh, Order of the Phoenix and the ending of Deathly Hollows, for example. But there are also so many different aspects that differ. It's a useful tool for analysis, but we should use it carefully. And there was a really good exchange between a lot of commenters in this. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I actually haven't been on any of the Ring Theory episodes. Um, Me neither. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what do you think of Ring Theory, Grace? To be honest with you, I, I'm kind of, okay, there are definitely times where I feel like my mind is blown and that, like, this must have all been planned. But there, I think there are also just times where you you really have to look at how she, how J.K. Rowling structures her novels. And so, of course, things are going to align in a lot of different ways. 
Um, I feel like ring theory is useful as this com as Lisa says in a lot of literary circumstance. If you're doing literary analysis in particular, I don't think that she planned like the very minute details that a lot of people pick up on. Mm -hmm. I think that that's mostly just things that like going back at it sort of to stretch our own brains while reading the text. It's kind of what we do yeah. as academics, you know? Well, um, so I'm of two minds on ring theory. Um, I think it works very well in a macro sense, as in the seven books as a whole. Because, uh, like, the parallels yeah. of, like, 246 and 147, like, those are sort of, like, there are too many coincidences for it to not, like, be a thing. Mm -hmm. Where my cred um, belief is stretched is, like, the ring within each book, where, like, you know this chapter matches up with this chapter, because, like, Joe Rowling is so bad at math. Like, I cannot believe that she, like, <laughs> you know, had, like, a grid of, like, page numbers and elements and all that. That just seems she, so stifling. She did gr grid things out pretty well, though. Have you seen, like, from oh, the I History have. of Magic exhibition? Like, oh, 100%. Things are pretty well planned out. Yeah, but, like, that's just planning out the story, not, like, you know, planning out, like, who shows up on which page and all that. Um, mm -hmm. the other thing, um, your point about how she didn't plan it all out, I think, um, a good chunk of ring theory doesn't necessarily need to have been planned out in advance. You know, um, if she's writing Deathly Hallows, mm -hmm. she can be like, ooh, I had, you know, Ollivander and Wands in book one, and I can now have it in book seven. Haha, -ha, ring. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, I'm sure there are also plenty of elements that don't circle back around, um, and... You know, the beauty of writing as you go is you get to sort of cherry pick what do you want to do parallels of. Um, and I feel like that doesn't make it any less impressive um, if, you know, she still crafted the ring even without planning them in advance. Mm hmm. Now, I'm I'm with you on that. I um, uh, where's my brain going? Oh, yeah. And like I, we've all like done creative writing. We've all like tried to write novels and whatnot. Um, I, I feel like when it comes to something like this, a lot of things is sort of just divine synchronicity yeah. at times. You're just like, oh, I did mention that at the beginning. It just like sort of bring it on back at the end, oh, you know? 100%. Like the novel I'm working on, I'm just like, ooh, aha, and this parallels the beginning, and then that parallels the end. I have a ring. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I've definitely felt that so many times. Well, because it's, it's just classic storytelling techniques you know but it's yeah. the it's mm -hmm. the fact that it works so well through every book and the whole series i think is the really impressive thing um yeah about this one it's just very yeah. masterfully um, done and i will say so um john granger um also analyzes the corman strike books a lot on his blog hogwarts professor and i find it fascinating mm -hmm. to read those articles because they're like we're trying to use ring theory but to predict things instead of it, with hindsight and i'm so curious to see like how it all works out in the end like you know will he have gotten any of it right um because i think uh the fifth corman strike book uh comes out this fall which means we're in the second half of the ring so we got to see mm -hmm. how it parallels with the third one and how it all works out but like that analysis is, is a lot of fun so readers if you're fans of corman strike and uh want to do a lot of reading uh definitely check out hogwarts professor my goodness <laughs> All right, well, moving on to the second comment that I wrote down here. Um, this one was by, uh, what's there? Oh, Bridges Flamekeeper and uh, Frumpy But Super Smart. Also, they discussed a lot of things in Order of the Phoenix. And uh, it sort of like delved into Lord of the Rings after a bit. So 
I just thought it was interesting that they touched on this. It was a big thing I remember about Order of the Phoenix was the hollowness that I felt after losing Sirius. Truly, I just have this memory of going into a pool and staring into the middle distance while a train's calling the <laughs> angels played on the radio in the background, synchronicity. Uh, I kept thinking all that work to save him and Prisoner of Azkaban, and now he's gone. He's really gone. I wouldn't say I disliked the book, but I'm sure it had an impact. And this was them commenting on, like, the feeling of loss and why a lot of people tend not to like this book. Uh, and I thought that it was, like, it was kind of poignant in that, like, it might have been a lot of readers' first experience with, like, char- like actual feeling a character loss, you know? Mm-hmm. See, I, I didn't as much because I had that one spoiled for me. <laughs> Oh no! So like, I got there and I was like, "This is sad," but it wasn't like a shock. As much I mean, for me, it's I really guess. just preparing everyone for Deathly Hallows. So it's true. You really have to go through Order of the Phoenix and the the feelings that you feel when we when you lose Sirius in order to prepare yourself for losing like half the people in Deathly Hallows. So yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's true. It's it's the it's the pre loss to the actual yes. loss. <laughs> I, it wasn't necessarily like I didn't feel quite as strongly about Sirius as a lot of people that I know did. And it was like this book was so devastating mm-hmm. for them just because of the loss of him. But I I just I never quite felt as sad about it. And I think that's why I always liked the book a bit better than they did. <laughs> I don't know. I tend to like stories and um and literary literary mediums that explore that really hard stuff to talk about, like explore loss and explore things that uh, we go through in our everyday lives, but don't really get the chance to work through subconsciously or just consciously. And I think that stories that go and mm-hmm. tell these stories um, very intimately and, and make you feel the, these ways, like this way about losing a character, I think that it's just really good to have out there. So, I mean, I liked the book because it makes you feel something real, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, yeah. I I don't care for Order of the Phoenix as much. Uh, it's my least favorite. Uh, but that sort of never had anything to do with Sirius's death. Um, but I will say, reading uh, Sirius's death was a very weird and powerful experience. Because uh, Order of the Phoenix came out in June 2003. Um, and so a year earlier, June 2002, was when I lost my father. Um, and so I think, like you said, this was sort of the first book I read, because I was like 11 years old, mm-hmm. um, that like really dealt with death and loss and like just stayed in that um, and allowed us to sort of go through the grieving process. So I think, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was really good for me to read that when I did. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah, I don't know if I'd been able to, if I would be able to like go through it after having just lost someone that close to me. So uh, yeah, I... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Irvin, I'm so sorry. That's a Thanks. lot. I mean, it, it was also very different because, like, my dad had had leukemia, so he'd been sick a while. So, um, like, it wasn't, like, a sudden loss the way Harry experienced it. You know, we'd sort of, like, had time to sort of wrap our minds around it sort of as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, yeah, it was a very different grieving process, but, like, there was still so much that, like, I related to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but death is always sudden, I feel like, even if you know it's coming. So... Yeah, I mean, it's it's always it's always strange to have uh, something that something in media kind of understand kind of what you're going through in a sense yeah. and provide like half an escape but half an yeah. understanding. And I like I had a similar experience when my father passed away back when I was 11, same age, but I'm older than you are, so that was before way before this book had come out. And I just found such an escape in Harry Potter. It's strange to hear it from the other angle where it's like it almost reflected the the situation that you were going through. Yeah. 
And I really feel well, that. Also, like, my dad was the one who, like, got the Harry Potter books out of the library for me. Um, Aww. So, yeah. So, like, you know, he never read it or anything. Um, but, like, you yeah. know, like, in a weird way, like, the fact that I'm so into Harry Potter, like, came from him. Um, so, mm-hmm. like, I've always sort of looked at it as, like, you know, one of the last really important gifts he gave me. Oh, you're going to make me cry. That is so yeah. beautiful. Oh, my God. Sorry, I didn't think we'd be crying on a Peter Pettigrew <laughs> episode. This was not planned. It was not expected, no. <laughs> Irvin planned for tears. <laughs> he wanted us to oh. weep. <laughs> Uh, I just, uh, just to finish out the shout out, Maxim, I just wanted to give shout outs to Slightly Toasted Puff, Puff the Magic Raven, and Schlongbottom. <laughs> I can't name. say that name without freaking laughing. It's so good. Yeah, also, th- that is a very puffy cohort of commenters. I <laughs> very much. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. But yeah, that you guys are brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing yeah. that with us, Irvin. That was really wonderful to um, hear. I cannot think of a sexy transition uh, <laughs> to get us into Pettigrew, so... <laughs> no, there's, there's, there's nothing sexy about no. this transition over to Peter Pettigrew, the, the greatest... Tra- it's AKA what Rowling hates and just literally threw Pretty it all much. into a character, Pretty like a yes. single bowl. All right, so now with the <laughs> unsexiest of all transitions, let's talk about Peter Pettigrew. <laughs> worst <laughs> he is the mm-hmm. absolute worst <laughs> but like but like but like he's the worst in like a sad he's, way he is does that and make it's sense interesting like, yeah he's such a pathetic person but he's the worst <laughs> right because right, he's not the worst in like any sort of impressive way you know the way you yeah. can say voldemort or bellatrix or crouch or malfoy are the worst no he's just the worst in the worst way let's get into it guys let's jump on in i've got these yeah. these meaty notes here i'll, I'll start from the beginning yes. we'll just do a, a minor introduction uh he was born somewhere between september 1st 1959 and august 31st 1960 he died in late march 1998 so he lived to be about 37 or 38 do we not have a birthday uh mm. apparently i checked a few no. different sites so no we do not did we check the lexicon i try, i think i tried to check the lexicon too i, I i'm gonna look now because now I'm please curious. please do because <laughs> i might have missed it but uh his name meeting could be derived from the french word petit which means small or and the english word grew hence grew small there's a few other theories as to what Pettigrew could mean i mean Pettigrew's a, like an actual british last name isn't it probably yeah uh yeah they just say circa 1960 I guess. Somewhere around. Oh, there. that's so sad. I went to the lexicon, um, and they have a page called Notable Characters, and Pettigrew doesn't make the cut. Ooh. This is, yeah, this is a strange uh, thing ouch, about this lexicon. character, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of ouch factors here. Yeah. And an interesting thing about this though, um, if anybody went to the uh History of Magic exhibit or saw any of that um, there's an old page from when Rowling was planning things out and she was listing potential uh, professor names. And there was a pedigree on that yeah. list. Um, yeah. yeah, which goes back like, to the fact that like it's just a last name yeah, that yeah, she it, was going to use. I want to say it's like a yeah. pedigree or something was the name. But but it's 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 interesting that like that name was kind of there for a long time yeah. in her head before it became this this character. I'm I'm pretty sure it was like I feel like it's a throwaway name because it's a character that she doesn't really want to like at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well also, so Joe Rowling really doesn't like um the letter P because we have a whole bunch of characters with the initials PP and all of them are reprehensible. Who else has those initials? 
Pierce Pocus, Pansy Parkinson. Oh, yeah. Well, some of that just goes with the, like, alliteration. But yet again, like, throw away (laughs) names, though, because she doesn't even feel really strongly about those characters either. Oh, no, she feels very strongly about Pansy Parkinson. Oh, wait, yeah, no, that was All her, like, schoolgirl hatred um, as a Hermione, like, is just all being funneled into the character of Pansy Parkinson. Ooh, big yikes. Yeah. Somebody's got a vendetta. Um, Oh, she 100% does. (laughs) Hey, that's what you do, man. (laughs) <laughs> All right, let's let's jump on in. The Hogwarts years for Peter Pettigrew. We know for a fact that his mother was a witch. His father, we are not certain of. Um, sorry, question. How do we know that she, yeah. his mother was a witch? I I think that was like extra material. I looked it up on two different sites, and they they said that his mother was a witch. His father, not so certain about it. Interesting. I wonder where that came. Yeah, from. I'm I'm a want receipts on that one. I sure. I'm. I'll I'll look it up. Uh, do you want me to look it up now, or should I just keep? plowing onward no that's fine carry on (laughs) i just haven't heard that before yeah i see i hadn't heard it either i had to do a lot of this uh research in terms of how pettigrew relates to tom riddle yeah so because um mm. so uh according to the lexicon uh they say um his mother was a witch question mark so like yeah we don't really know. We don't know jack about this boy. We really don't. There's so, so many question fine, marks. Do we care? It's, no. it's not. I do. <laughs> I care very deeply. <laughs> I want to know everything about Peter Pettigrew. I really do. I'm not lying to you. I'm not just saying it to be a jerk. Like I really do want to know more about him because the way that he pan that his character panned out is very like strangely like opposite to a lot of things that you would think plus like knowing these like small details i think helps us understand him more and his motivations and while that might not make us like him more or you know make us more i don't know nice towards him I, it still helps to understand the motivations i think that he's a, he's definitely a villain and what makes a good villain is you know what what their motivations yeah. are and i i don't think he was evil just to be evil and it's good to understand that type of stuff it is pretty unusual too for someone who has a pretty critical role in these books to not have this information have been revealed somewhere mm-hmm. you know like yeah. i think that's interesting uh, that's why really- it leads me to believe that jk rowling didn't care he's pretty critical to what happens you yeah, know, like he's if it weren't critical. for him, James and Lily might still be alive. Like for all we know. But what information about him would you expect that, like, you know, is revealed about all the other critical characters? Well, I mean, like we we know a lot about Lupin. We know a lot about Sirius. We know a lot about James and Lily. Like we know a lot. We know a lot about Snape. Like we know a lot about his contemporaries. So it's interesting that for someone who has such a critical role in what happens... He's kind of a mystery. But, yeah. but okay, no, like, what do we know about them that we don't know about him? I would love to know well, if their I childhood? I, yeah, I yeah, want to know the have... circumstances of his childhood. I want to yeah. know exactly how he developed this mindset that he needs to be protected and that his opinion is lesser than someone who is more powerful than him and that someone who is more powerful than him can help him. How did he become friends with... The Marauders, you know, like we don't know how he we roughly do know from. how we be- he became friends with the Marauders, though. Well, I guess we do a little bit, I, but yeah. like we don't necessarily know in the same way we know of like how James and Sirius met. And, and I feel like like, how- uh, like childhood and how you your relationship with your parents and your attachment styles really would speak to how he became this like parasitic type of person, you know, how he. To came to cling on yeah. to these people that he thought could help him. Yeah. How he became, like, so sociopathic and full of fear that, like, he couldn't 
discern he he could put his morality on the back burner in order to keep himself preserved and we don't even truly know i think how close he was with the others like i feel like we know that how close like Sirius and james were and like lupin was to them you know and it's funny that you should mention this yeah i i'm gonna disagree with that because i feel like we do know that he was very close with them that you know he was one of the marauders like one of my, oh no like one he, of my pet was. peeves in like marauder era fan fiction and stuff is like you know it's the uh james Sirius loop and trio and then the tag along peter and it's like no he was a nearly equal member of the yeah, marauders otherwise his betrayal wouldn't sting so much yeah but like we don't see that well, really you know like the one instance we have of them at school is he is kind of shunted aside, you know, like, and so we don't quite see how he, like, what role he fills. I also, I don't, I want to know why. I want to know why they liked him, why they let him in his their little gang. Like, what about him made them consider him one of their Be- closest because, friends? Because James and Sirius are the type of people who would very much like to have an acolyte. Um I mean, that, like, that's some of, the, of that, that opinion as well. Yeah. They're such big personalities that, like, you can't have a friend group of all huge personalities. It gets exhausting. And can I... I just want to jump in and say that I feel that his friends, namely James and Sirius, were more on the controlling, demanding, and disrespectful variety. I feel that they didn't really see Peter as entirely human, but rather a reflection of their own power over him, and it made it very easy for him to transition from supposed friend to Dark Lord later on, who cared about him probably about as much. I wonder they act superior, entitled, and also they create drama and exert their superiority over others that they deem to be weak. And that teaches him that he can do the same. You know, I wonder about that too, and I wonder too maybe if the things that turn out to be bad things he does, they saw as an asset for a while, you know, like he's sneaky. He can sneak around places, you know, like he, he goes unnoticed. He can gather things, you know, like, I mean, I, I just think that they heavily bullied him through his entire school career about while considering themselves as friends. But, but we don't have any evidence of that. Yeah. I mean, the evidence that we do have, I think I consider it evidence that he made such an easy transition to being a Death Eater. It means that he was very used to people exerting power over him. But but first of all, we don't know that it was an easy transition. And mm-hmm. second of all, if it was such an easy transition, it wouldn't be so unexpected and so shocking to everyone. The only, I feel like the only reason it was unexpected was because they'd never t- took the chance to know Peter as a human being. But we also don't know. And I think it's the exact opposite. We also don't know whether, like, what part of that is na- nature versus nurture, right? Because yeah. I think that part of him, it's possible that he, like, has this need to survive and he, this need for preservation that he's had his entire life. And maybe when he realized that dark, like, that evil might overcome good, he was, you know, I think maybe it was his nurture or his nature to go over to the dark side. And it wasn't, it doesn't, I don't think it was necessarily completely the way his friends treated him. Well, and we know, we know because uh, Sirius and Lupin and even Voldemort kind of tells him, Peter, you're always looking for like the biggest person on the playground, right? The biggest bully in the playground. Yeah. yeah. Like you want to go hide behind the person that you think has the most power. So I, I kind of agree with that idea of it's self-preservation of some sort of like, he wants to find the, the person he can 
cower behind and that will protect him the most. He wants to be on what he thinks is the winning side. And that's, yeah. that's Which is why- interesting because that, that, that gives him some insight of like strategy almost, you know, yeah. of like he's strategically picking where he wants to be. So I wonder if that was part of how he became friends with the marauders of he he saw them as their yeah, they, they were the biggest bullies on the playground yeah they're they're like the emerging like leaders of the group right and he says well i'm gonna be with them because if you're with them they can't be against you yeah true enough yeah i feel like that's why it's so important to know about his early life yeah, yeah. the other thing is um i'm under the impression that he didn't seek out voldemort like the first time he turned that uh because basically Vol- like voldemort came calling and he was weak, and he switched sides. But it, it wasn't a situation like Snape or like Regulus where he actively wanted to join the Death Eaters. And yeah, I think it would have been more along the lines of, like, Voldemort was taking over. Yeah. And then he approached him and he went, well, I'm not going to be on the losing side, so... Yeah. Uh, and and it's it's hard to know, um, like, you know, when, you know, like, a someone who is killing everyone, when someone like Voldemort approaches you um, and threatens your life, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to know how you'll respond. And, like, yes, the right upstanding Gryffindor thing to do is to say no, but, like, not everyone is an upstanding Gryffindor. It would be very smart of Voldemort, too, because Voldemort can see that this person is tight with all the, with all these different people especially James who he you know knows is going to ha- has a child that can destroy him and so he's like how can i get to these people and re- achieve the outcome that i want which is killing mm-hmm. harry potter um and i'm going to go for the weakest link and i'm going to exploit him and um his need for self preservation and i'm going to get him on my side. And so I feel like that's probably more plausible to me, at least, than Pettigrew going out and seeking him. Because if he goes out and seeks him, he doesn't know that Voldemort's not going to kill him. Yeah. And that's definitely not something that he would put himself in the position for. Yeah, I think that Voldemort, I mean, I think Tom was probably pretty adamant about going after him because he would see him as the weakest link. But I think think there's probably a lot of mind games involved in this, (laughs) knowing him. Um, Sorry. Uh, Clarification of timeline. Do we know if Pettigrew turned before or after Harry's birth? Uh, Before, right? I I I think it's got to be before. Four. Well, I guess, I mean, it, that's a whole year where he could have been secretly working for Voldemort, and I guess we don't know for sure. Yeah, I think it's got to be before, because I think Voldemort would have started putting plans in place as soon as he heard the prophecy. That's what I was going to say, yeah. I was thinking so, that, too. it's got to be either, like, a little bit before Harry's born, or, a, like, right after. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean... Who says that he was feeding information to Voldemort for like a year before their deaths? Ooh, ooh, you're right. That is a quote. Um, and on. now I'm, I'm blanking. See if I can find it. I think Sirius. Um, I think says it, it is. Uh, it's in Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, and and we know that there was suspicion because we know the Potters went into hiding mm-hmm. during that time. Sometime mm-hmm. we know there was suspicion of someone close to them was betraying them because they were all suspicious kind of of each other. Yeah. Right. Because Lupin and Sirius talk about how, well, I didn't say anything or do anything because I thought you were the spy and I thought mm-hmm. you were the spy. And- oh yeah. Here, here, here. Don't lie. Bellowed black. You've been passing information to him for a year before Lily and James died. You are his spy. 
So there. It yeah. Is. So it's it's sometime around. Harry was a when year Harry's old though, born. right? Yeah, Harry was over a year old, so it would be yeah. after Harry's birth then. Wow. It could be if we if we can take that as the exact date, or Sirius could have been just kind of general, just spouting like, off. It could have been a year and a half, yeah. and in that case, it was before his birth. So yeah. But even even yeah. so, doesn't if it is before his birth, it could just mean that Tom inherently saw value in having a spy in that particular group of four friends oh well absolutely because peter was a member of the order yeah. and he was close to the potters yeah. who had already thrice defied voldemort mm-hmm. yeah. yeah either way having a connection to the order would be valuable to him so and honestly if we look at that group of people peter was probably the weakest link there you know mm-hmm. like he, yeah the easiest to get in with kind of you know he would be the easiest to sway i think that yes. he uh, he was the le- he was since he was so bullied by James and Sirius, he probably considered himself like the least of their friends anyway. So it, it would have been. I just think that I think it's more of just a lack of loyalty. Honestly, I feel like that yeah. he's just missing that that human trait of loyalty to people who. I mean, yes, I I'm sure that James and Sirius and Lupin were not extremely kind to him throughout the entirety of their childhood but i do think that when you are as close with someone with with a group of people as he seemed to be you know they went through the animagus process together they spent all their entire um years at hogwarts together there usually is some sort of inherent type of loyalty that he just seems to completely be lacking these people these people watched after him they made sure that he didn't get bullied they um yeah maybe they weren't super nice to him I, i i don't think I fully ascribe to the belief that they were awful to him, like bullied him their entire school year. I do think that they had to have been friends in some way. Um, But I do think that Peter just doesn't have loyalty or else he wouldn't have done this. But to be honest with you, okay, think of it this way. Would you have loyalty for someone who always considered you to be lesser? So here's the thing about teenagers though. Yes. That happens a lot. Like, Absolutely, yes. It, it very, especially with teenagers and kids, like that happens a lot. Like y- you are so convinced you're friends with these people that even if they don't treat you great, that you're like, but they're my friends. You know, it's it's that it's that kind of like brain development kind of stuff where they don't quite see that that higher thing. Um, so that, and sometimes I wonder too if it is it full out bullying they're doing or are they just kind of being jerky teenagers <laughs> which i think is always the, yeah. is yeah. always the like, the impression i always got was jerky teenagers that like yeah. you know they weren't the kindest of people but they looked know. after him they provided I mean, protection your friends can bully you they absolutely can bully you like oh yeah no definitely yeah but I, I, that's always how I read it, to be honest with you. But I, I don't know if it was targeted necessarily towards Peter. Like, it's not the same way it is with Snape, you know? Um, it's more just like. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply jerky teenage boys being <laughs> jerky teenage yeah. boys, you know, and um, I, but we also know they did know, that help That sounds him. a lot like boys being boys to me. Like, I, I don't, I don't No, I'm not that. saying it's right. Yeah. I'm not saying it's right. I mean, right, girls but can I'm do it too. That's, oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. um, mm-hmm. Like, they never, they never set out to be cruel to Peter, I think yeah. is the thing. Like, incidental cruelty happened because teenage boys. Yeah. Uh, but, like, they never viewed him as someone to be cruel towards the way they did with Snape. They, and we know they he did they did help him, right? Like, they yeah. took they, him they step Yeah, they carried him over the finish line with the Animagus, Animagus transformation. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and he provided something to them, too. I think that, like, he gave them something that was valuable, which was, you know, I don't know, being sneaky or whatever Allison said before about how he would do their dirty work for them, basically, is, is kind of what yeah. I... I, I imagine i guess is what he would do for them um and so i I think that they valued him in some way and they included his name um on the marauder's map he got equal billing with the others yeah i mean which i feel like they would not have done if they thought of him as lesser than there's so many different examples where people assume that peter pettigrew is like super stupid but i i made a list literally of all the the magical accomplishments that he's done and they're they're it's more than you would expect after hearing, like, McGonagall's quote is included in almost everything that has to do with Peter Pettigrew is that he hero worship Black and Potter, never quite in their league talent-wise, is often rather sharp with him. Stupid boy. Foolish boy. Like, I, th- I feel like this is just another example of people underestimating someone because they try to – actually, this might – this is probably part of his, um, his strategy is trying to make himself mm-hmm. seem as small as possible – because he's actually much more skilled than they give themselves. I, I actually interpret that. I interpret that line differently. Yeah. The, the the last four words, stupid boy, foolish boy, that's her emotion of like, he was stupid and foolish for trying to go after Sirius, yeah. the mass murderer who killed him. Yeah. Um, but like, hero worshipped Black and Potter never in their league talent wise. I feel like that can be like objective fact. That's but not we also have to remember a qualitative that, that- judgment. That we also have to remember that James and Sirius were 
pretty impressive like magic wise right like they figured out how to become animagus in what like their third year and like Uh, did it fifth i thought fifth well, well, yeah, but they like started. Yeah, third in, like, to fifth year, mm-hmm. like their second. You know, like yeah, like their second. As thirteen year olds, they were working on becoming anime guys. Yeah, like which is freaking impressive. Yeah, it's extremely <laughs> impressive. Yeah, but the, but Peter does that too. So I mean, it also yeah, yeah because they they yeah. help him. Yeah, but but I think what she's saying is she, is she's she's definitely saying like it was stupid of him when he knew he couldn't beat Sirius to go. I know my, my example is more that he's like, this is just another example of her assuming that he is not as talented as they are when I believe he probably is. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't think so because like he accomplishes impressive things. Like I'm not going to take away from that though. I'm going to take away from half your list. We'll get into that. How dare. Um, (laughs) But like (laughs) James and Sirius are portrayed as some of the most formidable wizards of their age um yeah. and Pettigrew just is not like i think he's competent you yeah. know like i think he's he's competent but he's not like stellar the way they are um and so he needs their help with some of those more difficult things um i mean okay i i i it's not that i don't believe you but i just want a few examples like other than this Animagus situation, where do they help him? Well, we know when they're talking about um, their owls, um, they he, right. He comes out and he he's. They're talking about the werewolf question. They're they're like joking about it, right? And they're like, "What are the five signs of a werewolf?" You know, and, mm-hmm. and Peter's like, "Well, I got this one and this one and this one," and they're like, "Dude." You run around with a werewolf every month. <laughs> I think. Yeah. So what I, I think that he has the ability to be extremely talented when it it benefits his self preservation. It's kind of like he kind of reminds me of of like Lockhart, where Lockhart is very good mm. at doing the types of magic at the that one thing. yeah at doing the types of magic that were, that will give him fame and what in notoriety and what he wants and peter grew peter peter grew okay whatever <laughs> i just decided nice, to match them nice. together peter, that's the name there's the episode title yep. um peter um he like he can pull off like really impressive magic when it means that it, it's going to help him survive like when he kills like 12 muggles and frames Sirius for his death like that's impressive that's insane that he was able to do that and pull it off mm-hmm. and then also hide as a rat for how many however many years was it 12 years I 13 13 years um, 13 uh, years of it yeah. <laughs> no, exactly yeah. and like so that is impressive but literally he only does that so he can survive and i think that maybe if he were to try to do magic for any other reason it might not have been so successful yeah i think it's more the question of like would like i i feel like if someone had been there to support and lead him in doing magic for another reason than actual survival or to impress his friends maybe that might have been something that we would have seen in the series i feel that he gets the least amount of character development in any sort of positive fashion because he needs to be fashioned as a villain and you can't you can't allow yourself to sympathize with this. We see this in Tom Riddle as well. They show examples of Tom Riddle in his childhood, but you never really sympathize with him because you can't relate to him, just as you can't really relate to Peter. I think they both have a mental situation uh, where they, they have trouble connecting to others. 
And I, I do think that he's a skilled wizard. And I'm just gonna. Um, is it okay if I, I jump to the the? Yeah. Okay. Fine. Let's, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. jump to. Let's litigate whether he's impressive or not. I, I will <laughs> indeed. I will defend him at least a little, <laughs> as much as I can. Um, he did manage to become an animagus. I we already mentioned the hat stall for five minutes, and that doesn't necessarily make him impressive. I thought it was yeah. just interesting because. Yeah. Also, most- I I, w- I want to go back to the house question when we're done here. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember reading he was a hat stall, but we can go back to that. Sorry. Yeah. Um. Uh. He managed to become an animagus. Uh. He's the only Death Eater to find Tom in Albania by communicating with other rats. So he's using but- those skills to his own benefit. Mm-hmm. Uh. He's skilled in Occlumens and was able to hide his intentions from Dumbledore and the crew for a while. Um. But did he? I mean, he must have. Um, he was doing it for a year. But but like. Maybe people didn't he, care enough to try and read his mind. But, but, but wait, 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 wait. But I don't think the the other marauders knew legitimacy, you know? No. Like, and it's it's totally no. plausible like, he could have just not interacted with Dumbledore. But we do know from Lily's letter, she says, Wormy was here and he seemed down. So, like... Yeah. I don't All know right. if he's hiding so, much. So, <laughs> this is a lot of, like, fandom conjecture. Um, I always read Lupin as a legilimens. Um... In Prisoner of Azkaban, oh. which is um, off topic, but I think he um, sort of dabbles at least in it. Um, and I definitely think I Dumbledore uses legitimacy, but Dumbledore only uses legitimacy when he needs to. Like, when, like you know, he has a person he needs information from, and like legitimacy is the way to get it. Because um, like I had to go through this in my book about like when do we sort of notice him using legitimacy. So I don't I, think Dumbledore would use legitimacy on Pettigrew, like, just for no reason to see what's going I on. I think that I think that Grace has a good point, though, with the fact that, like, we see Snape as someone who is skilled at these things because – and he's doing the same exact thing that Snape did for a whole year. He's being a double agent, a double yeah. spy. Well, but but – Snape has to um, use a clemency against Voldemort, who is portrayed as the yeah. most skilled legilimens of the age. Um, and I think Pettigrew it's, it's, did not. I think True. it's totally plausible to say that you know, like Pettigrew could have avoided people who could, you know, like he could have been avoiding people for the most part, and you know, and playing his role. I mean, that's it's all theories in this case cuz it's oh, definitely, definitely like he yeah. could have avoided them. Like he's a smart boy as we can see. He's not stupid. Um but and he's crafty. So it's very possible he did avoid people who could possibly out him. That's just the smart thing to do. Yeah. But I think that there's it might have been unavoidable. That's the thing I think is the big thing with Pettigrew is that he is sneaky and he is crafty. And he is able to fly under the radar to some extent. Mm-hmm. And that's where his big value and kind of talent lies. That's yeah. why he was a hat um, stall with Southern. <laughs> yeah, like he's he's like a perfect spot. Yeah, and that brings me actually to my next <laughs> yeah. point is he's crafty enough to think ahead in most situations and see what avenues will keep him safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And- yeah. And he can collect enough information, uh, even from like Severus while he was living with him, because there was there were times when he was just listening at doors trying to get more information as yeah. to what's but, going on. But we on. don't know that he actually got any information. That's true enough. Because Snape would catch him. Yeah. Um, so, like, I think a a lot to recommend Pettigrew is that like he is like if there is a way to survive, he will find it. Yeah, he's um, smart. Now, like. He doesn't think ahead enough to not land in those situations where, like, this is the only one narrow path to survival. 
But once he's there, he's very good at being like, well, here's what exactly. happened. So that's to my yeah. point that he's good at doing that one yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. He's he's a rat, you know, but yeah. he is entirely it's so funny because I think other characters who are animagus, like they aren't as like on the nose that animal necessarily <laughs> all the time. But like Pettigrew is a rat. Like he is always a rat. He like in every sense of the word. And I mean Sirius Black is very much a dog. Well, okay, to, be, yes, to be honest but with like, you, he symbolizes a rat, but mostly by the way that like our English culture understands rats. Yes, but rats if we're true. thinking literal, literally, rats are actually very smart. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They're very, very smart. smart creatures. <laughs> They're great pets. They're like very cute, to be honest with you. <laughs> and like just a, just a precursory Google search, you'll find that rats have like crazy meanings astrologically their abundance and success yeah. and like uh, adaptability like he's extremely adaptable yeah oh definitely yeah that's it yeah he is he's so on the nose with his animagus animal like i feel like more than any other character yeah. that it's just like- decided to tune into those better aspects of him i guess but he didn't but that brings me to that he's skilled in the dark arts and that he was able to cast a blasting curse and killing curse with no problem and he managed to get the botters killed, escape, kill 12 muggles, and frame Sirius all in one day. So, Well, but I'm going to disagree. Like, none of that is, like, him making, like, choices. Like, yes, he gets the potters killed, which, like, is not impressive. He literally just tells something to Voldemort. True enough. Um, he doesn't have... Um, yes, he does kill 12 muggles. The blasting curse is very impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's powerful. Uh, and, yeah. But, but... Part of its power comes because he hits, like, a gas line. No, that was the story told to Muggles. No, 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 no. That's the Muggle excuse. But I'm pretty sure he hit something. He didn't. It, that was literally the story no. that they told to Muggles. So okay. that they. Yeah. I thought I thought there was something else. In nah. He, he definitely killed the 12 Muggles with one curse and then framed Sirius all in one go. And that's extremely clever. Yeah, yeah, I would say that's probably one of the most impressive things he's done. But like I said, it's yeah. be- because he, if he didn't, like he wouldn't have survived, and yeah, be, he, yeah, because he got himself into a corner. Yeah, I mean, I one could say from from another standpoint, most of what Harry does is because he gets himself in a corner. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's true. I love yeah. Harry. Harry's my second favorite character. I love him. I love him yeah. to death. Uh, not literally, of course. I would. <laughs> yeah, Harry. Harry is my <laughs> is my favorite character, and I would say that a lot of what he does is is luck and raw and resources. And raw talent. It's resourceful. Raw talent. Yeah. yeah. Like, he has the talent. He doesn't know that he has it, and he hasn't, like, refined it and, you know, done yeah. all the stuff that is necessary to make it, you know, not raw talent like Hermione. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, he's, it's like 90% yeah. luck. Yeah. <laughs> well, because also, Harry doesn't plan in advance well. Like, the two or three times we <laughs> yeah, see him true. trying to, like, make a plan and be proactive, they're usually pretty terrible plans. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, they're pretty and, bad. It's okay, right? we love him. Uh, but, like, once you, like, land him in a situation, like, you know, once he's, like, in a chamber with a giant deadly snake he's facing down, like, yeah. you know, he's on it, he got this. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. These are the characters that we can actively say are resourceful. Is Harry Potter, Tom Riddle, and Peter Pettigrew, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Which is like if you if you throw them on an island with a toothpick, they'll make good of it. Like they're they're yep. gonna try well, their damnness. It's, it's interesting too because because 
a lot of people say, well, Pettigrew shouldn't be in Gryffindor, you know, like he's not brave, whatever. But I think some of it is that adaptability and being able to think on his feet and being able to rush into a situation without planning and find a way out of yeah. it, you know? He's very good. He's very good at that. Yeah. Uh, he was able to cast nonverbal spells, as in summoning ropes and lighting fires. He was able to use other mm -hmm. people's wands with no issues, Remus and Voldemort. He was able to overpower Mad-Eye Moody with the help of Barty Crouch Jr. I'm gonna give Crouch Jr. most of the credit there. <laughs> Those, this is an opinion-based thing, so, like, I could say <laughs> that Peter Pettigrew had done his part, but I don't even know, so possibly? <laughs> <laughs> and he was able to overpower Bertha Jorkin uh, single-handedly. <laughs> but we don't necessarily know how hand, like, but powerful <laughs> she is. Also, yeah. wasn't Nagini there? No, no, no. Um, no. He, he overpowered Bertha Jorkins and brought her to Voldemort and Nagini. Gotcha. Okay. But, like, we don't know how he overpowered her. Like, was it magically overpowered her? Yeah, like, did he just, just like, like, roofie her? <laughs> like... <laughs> Wow. Wow, this that got dark, guys. You could do, it's gonna get like, dark. You could do Imperious from afar. It, it's you know? gonna get real dark. Yeah, th th like this list is sort of a preview of coming attractions for the episode. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> so, going over this list, um, like a lot of these things aren't impressive. They're just like basic wizarding, like using other people's wands, yeah. casting nonverbal spells. Okay, like, okay, yes, okay. that is like well, we see that in the basic book as aptitude. Being difficult things to do. Using nonverbal spells is seen as difficult. And For 16-year-olds. True, it is from Harry's perspective. <laughs> <laughs> but it also well, is it, it is seen as difficult. It's more higher-level magic. Counterpoints to the magic. We don't see him use any magic at all after he gets the silver hand in Goblet of Fire. You know what you're I don't right. know. He crushed that twig, Irvin. That twig was done for. <laughs> it was, indeed. It was dust. Is that because he doesn't have a wand anymore? No, he does. Uh, Ollivander says he had to make Pettigrew a wand. I, I literally just think oh, it's okay, because yeah, it right. just never came up. Yeah. I, he wasn't he wasn't a big fighter in the, the last few novels. And he's he's been downgraded then, right? Like, his usefulness is kind yeah. of gone, mm -hmm. but they still have to have him. So he's kind of become, like... Peter, go do this menial task, yeah. you know. But like, even for uh, the menial tasks, he doesn't use magic. Like, like I, I don't have a lot of like insight into this fact. Um, I just found it when I was researching another thing, and I'm like, that is curious. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's really a judgment of like how well he can use magic because we see a lot of really great wizards do menial tasks, and sometimes it's to their benefit not to use magic for something like that. But. Also, yeah. I just genuinely think, like, he just wasn't involved in any battles. They, there were other players that were far better at dueling that Voldemort wanted to see on the front lines. Yeah. So I just think, like, we didn't see it because it wasn't important. Yeah. All right. So having seen your list, like... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. We will concede that he is very adaptable and basically competent. <laughs> but <laughs> I will say that he is skilled. I will say it. I will say it for all of you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, shall we get into the Gryffindor or Slytherin of it all? Yeah, absolutely. Let's jump in. Yeah, because just, he seems so textbook Slytherin. But again, I think he's got that adaptability and that that kind of, like, doesn't go in with a plan, necessarily. Um, which is pretty Gryffindor in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Like, I always viewed this as perhaps the best evidence that we sort too soon. Because, like, I can firmly believe that, like, 11-year-old Peter Pettigrew, like, wanted to be Gryffindor, like, saw himself as a Gryffindor mm -hmm. in the vein of James and Sirius. But, like, when the chips were down and push came to shove, then, like, he his Slytherin colors finally uh, showed through. Yeah. I wonder if, too, though... How soon he met James and Sirius? Uh, they were in the same dorm, so like day one. No, 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 no. I know, but I, I'm trying to think of like the the sorting hat. So Sirius would have been sorted first. Then but James would have been after. No, so it was Sirius, then Lupin, and Lupin, then Pettigrew, Peter, James, like right, James with each other. Okay, so maybe he had seen Sirius and Lupin already go to Gryffindor, and part of his kind of craftiness was sitting there going. Gryffindor, Gryffindor, yeah. Gryffindor, you yeah, know. Yeah, that checks out. This could be a textbook example of, of Rowling literally putting him into Gryffindor because it was convenient. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, their story has to happen. Because I but really like, don't see a lot are, of Gryffindor traits no in fun. him. So, so here's the other thing, too. He's kind of gutsy for what he does. Like, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying the fact that he literally switches like that is a gutsy move. But that is that is the Slytherin bravery, right? That's like what Phineas Nigella says, like, we're brave, yes, but we choose to save our own skins. Yes, but I'm, I'm wondering, though, if that's what the Sorting Hat saw that made it think about Gryffindor, and then he might have asked for it then. So, I, I don't know. Because that, that, that takes some guts, man. I mean, I agree, definitely. I, I think that... God, it dictates the story so much. I have to say, like, I feel like there there is a definite element of, like, J.K. Rowling's panic of, he's got to do this, though. He's got to be here. 
Yeah. But I, Wait, I like so the you're... idea of like how the story changes if you do put him in Slytherin. Are you saying mm-hmm. that he, it takes guts to betray your friends? Yes. Yeah, it does. To condemn two of your best not, friends to death? Not Gryffindor guts. Like, I'm not saying it's good. <laughs> I'm just saying. No, no, I agree like, with you. I do. No, no, like, okay, so we're, we're not talking in, in terms of good or bad. We're talking in terms of Gryffindor. What, what does he risk losing by doing that? He risks everything. No, he does. He he risks. He he he's gaining the protection of the you know strongest wizard in the world that in his mind, and he's gaining you know a chance at survival. But he's he's he risks losing friends that he really didn't can, that didn't really treat him great to begin with. He's risking people who he doesn't think would actually be able to protect him. I don't. Not, I think not that, necessarily. He's risking actually ending up on the wrong side um he's risking some some sense of morality he's risking being found out as a traitor early right and being kicked out of both groups because if they find out he's a traitor he's out of the order and then he's of no use to the death eaters either like also he's condemning people to death (laughs) but that doesn't take guts that's just condemning people to death people you're close to like it's. I feel like you have to put people into categories if you do stuff like that, where it's just the almost the most reprehensible thing that you can do is just sort of like fate them to death. Yeah. Um, but I feel like there's some weird character flaws that are in a lot of the different characters that like uh, the fandom tends to love, and I find it strange that we like we see it. In flashes at times, but we see it so strongly in Pettigrew. It's I don't know. It I I feel like I feel like uh, everyone. Do you is, have an example? Um, I don't know. You guys might actually be able to clear this up for me because it always confuses me. Um, at least a little slightly. Was it Sirius that told Severus how to, um, like not pause, but like get past the Whomping Willow? Yes. Yes. Yeah. What is that? What mentality <laughs> leads you to putting he did someone's- He wanted him to die. All right. Yeah. So that is- no, um, That is well, horrifying. Well outside the scope of this episode. Um, I know. It's it's all sorts of messed I, up. Underdeveloped brains not thinking of consequences. What was a, that? A, that. B, it wasn't out of the blue. I don't think Sirius just, like, came up to Snape over breakfast randomly and was like, you know what you should do. I think Sirius was just goaded by Snape uh, to a point where he's like, because Snape had been, like, sniffing around and trying to find out what's up, and he had his theories that Lupin was a werewolf. So vet, I think S- Sirius was finally just goaded enough that he didn't think, and he was like, fine, you want to know what? Because, like... I'd, Sirius, okay, but that's that's all theorizing, though. What we know for sure is that Sirius told him to do how it's done, knowing that he would do it. And that yes. could yes, fate him to death. I think... <laughs> I don't think Sirius thought it all the way through. No. Right? It's it's the teenage brain not being completely developed, right? They do not think things all the way through. I deal with this on a daily basis, right? <laughs> and sometimes they do things for a stupid reason, and they don't think about the consequences. So I definitely, a lot of people blame Sirius for that, but I do not think Sirius had necessarily malicious intentions. Okay, okay, okay. I think he wanted to scare Snape, and I think he wanted, I think he wanted to kind of 
give get a dig at him a little bit but i don't think he was like i want you to i know die, this is so outside of what we're this. talking about this has nothing to do with Pettigrew. but okay let's think of it in terms of that let's think that maybe sirius didn't intend on a horrifying werewolf to tear him apart limb from limb let's go forward with that idea did he after that becoming an adult looking back on this situation ever apologize for putting him in mortal danger no no because he hates snape no but i think he probably felt bad about dick. it <laughs> I, I, he apologized to lupin god i that hate I it no so much i hate it but we also but we also have to remember uh we also have to remember that i gotta Sirius, take a breather i hate this so much Sirius has and this is totally out of the scope of this but Sirius has psychological issues because of his time in Azkaban. yeah he does all right all right L- <laughs> let, let's anyway. get back to Pettigrew because like we have like eight pages of notes to get through. So like, I know yes. I, did, I <laughs> yeah. took a lot of notes, guys. Anyway, back to Pettigrew. Back to, yeah, back to our regularly scheduled Pettigrew. Um, where were we? Um, so that's sort of his Hogwarts years. I feel like yeah. Let's let's check. There's that not off much the list. more to say on the topic. Uh, the Order years. I feel like we pretty much already discussed it. We already even discussed like how he probably would have been approached by Voldemort. Um, uh, one question I had though. Do any of you think that it was insulting to assume that no one would have ever thought Peter could be their secret keeper and that he would be the no, same? No, because be- I think that is, again, his 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 asset. Yeah, like, espe- especially from the Gryffindor perspective, you go after the biggest, bravest, uh, strongest. Like, I think that was a very good strategic choice. And if Wormtail was loyal, it probably could have been the right choice. Yeah, true. Because we, we see this in the Battle of the Seven Potters, right? Where Voldemort goes after the most impressive Aurors who are with a Harry Potter first. Mm-hmm. He goes after Moody, he goes after Kingsley. Um, so, like, that is, that is a good strategic move on their part. He's unassuming. He's not, he's, he's yes. not scary. You Do you know? think that this yeah. might have been a reflection of how like little they they knew they had a connection to him? like they how little they associated themselves with him? No, I think no. it's just his uh, accent. It's, it's the exact opposite. Yeah, because the fact that they would trust him literally with their lives speaks to how highly they thought of him as a fr- as a loyal friend who would not betray them. Yeah, they wouldn't do it if they thought that he had there was any chance of him betraying them. There was no or, there was no way they yeah. would do that. But also consider this, it also keeps Sirius a little bit safer, too. Right? No. I don't think they you don't think that it does? does? I don't think, no. I don't think that's Sirius what they Sirius doesn't want to be safer. He's a Gryffindor. Yeah, but James would yeah. want him to be safer. No, he wouldn't. I He's mean, also a Gryffindor. I know, but he also <laughs> cares for Sirius. And that's why I think he he makes this choice. But but no, they make Pettigrew the secret keeper with the understanding that Sirius will still be targeted. So yes. it doesn't make Sirius any safer. And I think they do care about him. I mean, he comes to visit them when they're on lockdown. Like, Lily writes about that. That Like, yeah. he comes to visit them and... And she's and concerned like, that he's unhappy. I think they trusted him. I really do think they trusted Whereas him. Whereas Sirius can't come visit them, according to that letter. Right? Mm-hmm. So, like, they're close enough that he's one of the few people that is able to come to their house. Yeah. And, like... And note that when they know there's a traitor in the Order of the Phoenix, they don't assume it's Pettigrew. They assume it's Lupin, which is yeah. some well, bigoted nonsense that I don't like. And just oh no, yeah. okay. Well, no, that's I, I like I like all the reasoning here. It's very interesting. I don't know if they flat out think it's Lupin. I think they're just not entirely sure who it is. But they're like, but it can't be Peter. Like, right? <laughs> well, no, because um, Lupin and Sirius discussed this in the Shrieking Shack. Uh, Lupin wasn't told about the Secret Keeper switch because they were afraid that he is was true. Spy. Because he's a werewolf. I 
while I'm thinking about this, Probably. can we talk about Peter's first name for a minute? Sure. Because I think it's interesting that his name is Peter. Because I think it has a lot of interesting literary uh, connections, right? I mean, you've got another big, like, Peter in classic children's literature, right, is Peter Pevensey, who is... Yes. Like... You know... Who is, like... You know, the the, the James of the series. Like, the <laughs> leader, much. upstanding, with the sword, like... I love him. Um, he's great. <laughs> he's great. But you also have, uh, like, Peter from the Bible, right? And you have... Wait, isn't he more... also great? Yeah. Yes, but he also is the one who denies Christ three times. Mm-hmm. Right? So... You've got some interesting, I think, literary connections to her choosing the name Peter that connect with this thing, right? Because you you have this kind of expectation, right, that he should be the leader and he should be great and he should be this, like, upstanding, stalwart person. Maybe that's what this... his parents wanted for him. Ooh. Interesting thought. Ooh, wait. The lexicon has a fascinating thing on etymology. Pettigrew is a play on words in English for pet I grew. Because Scabbers huh. becomes Peter Pettigrew. Interesting. Wait, what? I like I'm sorry, that. wait. So Scabbers becomes Peter... Wait. I... Scabbers is a pet, and then he grows into oh, a person. except that he was always a person. Book. Okay, okay. I got you. I got you. Okay. Yeah. I except thought, like, that he was not Scabbers before I was, he was... I was going too mentally deep into this. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> it's very literal. <laughs> yeah, it's punny, and I like it. <laughs> I can stand by that. Yeah, I'm good. That You guys are brilliant. This is nice. I'm glad you guys brought this up. Um, okay, this is just going through him taking the wand from the destroyed house, blah, 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 12 muggles, we got it. Um, oh, yeah, did you guys know this? I play the Hogwarts mystery game every now and then because I think it's cute and fun. Yeah. Um, apparently, I, I don't. I, I don't. I play either. Wizards Unite instead. I, I couldn't get on with that one. I it's For some reason, it's like holding up my phone. I feel like a little bit of a doofus, like trying to position it so I could fight whatever but <laughs> it, it, it's fun to play with friends. We have like a group WhatsApp and we do fortresses together. That's it's adorable. A whole thing. Oh, maybe I should yes, do that instead. Yes, it's a lot instead. of fun. But either way, apparently Peter's in the Hogwarts mystery game. I didn't know. I'm not up to that what? part. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't sure. get that far. I never, I never got that yeah. far. <laughs> Take your word for I it. I think it's adorable. But I, I'll, I'll have to see what he ends up doing. It's probably something super bad. Um, <laughs> uh, so he stuck around with the Weasleys. We all know this. Um, yeah, so, like, his decision to, like, become a pet at the Weasleys. Mm -hmm. It's for survival. It's interesting. I think it's interesting that he picks Percy originally. I love Percy. I mean, does he pick Percy or does Percy pick him? I think he... The Weasley chooses the wizard. (laughs) I think it's because the Weasleys are purebloods. They have a a father who works in the ministry so that he he has information. They are a fully magical family and are... Yeah, they're well connected. Always talk. Yeah, Yeah, they are. And they're a big family, so they'll always be talking about stuff. Yeah, and they have a lot of kids to pass him down to so he can stay in the family for a very long time. Uh, Kids the same age as Harry so he can keep an ear out for things yeah but i still think it's interesting that he picks percy as the kid you know and like or that percy picks him i mean was it how, how wasn't percy the youngest at that point 13 years before uh, harry no no they all would have been born by then uh but Ginny would have literally been like three months old yeah. No, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I, 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 I guess Percy was the one old enough to get a pet, right? Yeah. Because if Ginny's an infant, Ron's one, the Weasleys are three, um, 
Percy would be five, which is the perfect age to get a pet. But, like, Charlie and Bill are also older. And, like, Charlie, we know, likes animals, and so, Well, like- so Bill would have been ten. Bill would have been ten, so he would have been about to go to Hogwarts, so he would, like, get, you know, an owl or a whatever, or a toad or a cat. Uh, and I guess Charlie likes bigger, fire-breathing animals. True, true. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's interesting that there's there's some connection there. And maybe, like, Pettigrew was like, I'll go for the kid who seems like the most like him. You know, obviously Percy's yeah. not. But maybe like- it's a, maybe it's the P again. <laughs> P for Percy. Well, I, mean, I think that you're onto something, Allison. I really do like the idea of him, like, going after the kid that seems singled out by the rest. Yeah. Like, he's, he's being bullied oh. from the inside, just like Peter was bullied from the inside. And the, the kid who's going to be, he thinks is going to be most unobtrusive and so he Pettigrew can hide being you know like because we know Bill is super smart and like Charlie obviously is like a Quidditch star blah 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 and they haven't gotten there yet but I'm sure they were showing signs of that and the twins of course were probably already a nightmare yeah, I know I, I, I feel so I mean, bad three-year-old twins you do not want to be their pet oh gosh Just like especially not Fred and George oh hard my pass. God. Um, so maybe, yeah, he definitely, like, kind of was like, that's the kid, right? The most unobtrusive kid that no one's going to be like, why does this kid have a rat, you know? And so he's like, I'll be that kid's rat, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I like that idea. I think he picked it a little bit more. No, I definitely agree. Uh, but if we jump over to year three, because I don't really know if there's, like, any particular reasons why Peter never decided to do anything for year one or two. I guess he was just sort of, like, playing well, the field. He, bi- he bid Goyle. He bit Goyle he did in year one. bite Goyle. That's his crowning <laughs> his moment. Finest hour. We get an answer to this, right? Um, because I think, as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
either Hermione or Harry asks this question in Prisoner of Azkaban. They say, well, he's been living in Harry's dorm for three years. Why hasn't he done anything? And that's where we get the idea, the biggest bully on the playground, right? Where they're yeah. like, of course he wouldn't, because not until he heard that there was some protection for him from Voldemort or from someone else would he have jumped at that chance, right? He would not have taken that chance and put himself in that risk or exposed himself that way until he knew for sure, okay, I'll be welcomed back and I'll be safe. So it's not until year three when he starts to kind of panic because Sirius is after him that he that this starts to unravel. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. Uh, this was actually a discussion topic that I had going through all the my notes for, for Peter. But um, Harry ends up, he pleads with Remus and Sirius to spare Peter's life. He says that his father would not have wanted his friends to become killers. And I yes. was wondering, do we agree with this? Knowing what we know of James and his conduct and what would he have wanted his betrayer to be spared this poetic end? Okay, okay. I, I, I'm like I'm like doing a Hermione thing with my hand. I have <laughs> thoughts. Um, so for James, um, I feel like we can't know for sure, but my impression of James is like the upstanding Gryffindor where like mm-hmm. he, he would not want um, his friends to become murderers. He would want to like, you know, have the moral high ground um, and like, you know, carts Pettigrew off to Azkaban. So I actually think um, Harry is right about what James would want. But also, uh, and I came across this in another essay I'm working on, Harry um, does not view himself as a moral authority for other people mm, and mm-hmm. refuses to, um, like... Enact judgment. Refu- refuses to enact judgment um, on other people. Because, like, it's not like, oh, like, let Pettigrew go and, like, you know, maybe he'll be better. He's like, no, we will submit Pettigrew to the Ministry and the Dementors and they will enact justice uh, according to the proper channels. And at this point, he believes in the ministry as yes. a place of justice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he won't make that mistake again. I'm going to make an interesting literary uh, connection here mm-hmm. because it just popped in my head. Mm-hmm. James Potter is a bit like Shakespeare's Prince Hal slash Henry V, where he starts as kind of this this jerk who's doing things that he like knows are not great but he's just like living his life but he very much grows and matures into the very like celebrated kind of king figure and i think what's interesting about this quote is that harry says he wouldn't have wanted his best friends to become killers it's not about Pettigrew; it's Mm -hmm. about sirius and remus and it's about him saying James would want his two best friends who have showed their loyalty and who have proven that they're with him to remain as unsullied basically as possible. And that basically they should not bring themselves down to Pettigrew's level. Um, So I think that's almost the way that Harry's seeing this, right? Is he's thinking, my dad was a good guy. His best friends were good guys. And I think he, he's, projecting a little bit of Lupin there, right? Harry totally respects Lupin. Mm -hmm. And he thinks, if my dad was best friends with this guy, my dad must have been like him, Mm -hmm. right? So he he sees just how good he is. And he goes, he would not want his best friends to go down to that level. We already have textual proof that this is true, that James doesn't want his friends to become killers. Of course, 
Harry doesn't yeah. know this because Harry has not, I don't think, has been told the story yet. But we have textual no. proof that James stops Snape from following Sirius's advice and going after Lupin on a full moon, in turn saving his life. And I think that he does – I don't think that he fully does that for Snape, even though – Oh, yeah. he, I, d- he doesn't know the whole story, but he knows that uh, James saved Snape's life, right? Because mm-hmm. Dumbledore tells him that yeah. at the yes. end of Sorcerer's but I, Stone. Yeah, right? but I think that James's motivation is because he doesn't want J- Sirius to be the reason that Snape is murdered. Yes. Uh, yeah. And he also doesn't want Lupin to have to, to murder someone, to have to live with the fact that he yeah. murdered someone. So I think that he already has proven that he doesn't want his friends to become killers – and yeah. although Harry might not know that story to full extent and might not know that that's something that James has done in the past, I do think that um, that along with the fact that James is definitely – the way, at least this version of James is definitely a, a projection of how Harry wants to see his father and how, and how he imagined his father to be like. I think that both, it's just obvious that it's true that – James wouldn't want his friends to become killers. No, I agree with you. I feel like Harry doesn't have the complete story and like that's okay right now. He he -hmm. made a very educated guess and he did his best with it and like it came out correct. I feel like he probably was on the right end of that. I I definitely think as much as at that moment Remus and Sirius wanted that like revenge basically, I think they would have regretted it in in the long run. And also It doesn't help them in the long run, right? Mm-hmm. If Pettigrew is caught and everything comes out, Sirius is free of suspicion, yeah. right? Sirius's name gets cleared. And I don't think necessarily because, as we've talked about, Sirius has some, like, issues from being an Azkaban for so long. He's not thinking about that, right? He's not thinking about the long term no. again. Um, and I think Harry makes the call because he's like, I could have a chance to have another one of my father's friends you know like i could have this basically family again but we have to like get this taken (laughs) well and i love i love the connection you made um a bit earlier with harry and lupin and like what he saw of lupin and thinking Mm -hmm. lupin wouldn't want it because remember when they're discussing in uh prisoner of azkaban chapter 12 the dementor's kiss um and harry says that sirius black deserves the dementor's kiss and mm-hmm. that's sort of the first time Harry expresses any sort of sentiment of, like, this person deserves, like, to be punished. Um, and Lupin is like, you think so? Do you really think anyone deserves that? Um, and, like, the fact that, like, Lupin questions him on that, I feel like Harry internalizes and, the way yeah, he internalizes Harry, everything like, Lupin says. Harry has to, like, stop and think about that one after yeah. that. He's like, oh. I mean, and he kind of, like, stumbles after that, right? He's like, I mean, uh... It's, it's such an interesting uh, concept. Yeah. It's, it's like asking him to question, like, his, his preconceived notion of what's deserving, like, how justice is served. I think that it serves him yeah. all the better later on. And I think it's oh, fair... 100%. I think it's fair to mm-hmm. say that right now, in book three, that Lupin is the only version of his father that he has any sort of idea about like he doesn't know anything about his father but he knows that this person who he has gotten to know very well this year at school being his professor was his was his father's best friend so i think that mm-hmm. it's very accurate that when harry thinks of his father he's probably pulling a lot of what he already knows about lupin and yeah. kind of projecting yeah. that onto what he thinks his father would act like or what his father would do so yeah yeah 
Lupin, why didn't you stick around to be a father figure? I know. I know. Why? I know. It's because Lupin has his own issues. Well, I think because that's how Harry interacts with his two best friends, yeah. right? Like, he and Hermione and Ron very much kind of feed off each other and, like, interact with each other in that kind of way. So I think Harry's, like, projecting that onto his father's friendships in some ways, right? He's He thinks all the time about, like, what would Ron say about this? What would Hermione say about this? How would they react yeah, to this? Yeah, it's literally so all that he has he, to like, pull off of. So it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Harry, you're so pure yeah. and good. Well, I know, and like, baby. I th- good baby um, boy. At one point, like... Um, Sirius is yelling at Pettigrew, like, you should have died, died rather than betray your friends. And, like, Harry at 13 is absolutely like, yes, yes, you die for your best friend. That's, yeah. That's what you do. Yeah. yeah. Which, like, is a lot for a 13-year-old. That is a lot for a 13-year-old. <laughs> Listen, a year before he was going to die for his best friend's little sister. Yeah, he, so, he, yes. like, he's spent boy. 10 years yeah. up till this point just, like, throwing his life around willy-nilly, like, oh, someone's about time to go, time to go sacrifice. It's sacrifice o'clock, let's get out of here. <laughs> like, Harry's, Harry is so comfortable with the idea of just, like, tossing his, his existence around. I feel like by the end of the series, like, yeah, he's shocked by the fact that he's got to go into the woods, but he's just like, welp, it just be like that, though. And, but yeah. see, that's, and that's like a very, very, very Gryffindor trait about him. Like, that is so, oh, so, so Gryffindor. So and like, Gryffindor. that is the one it's thing the that... saving people thing. Well, it yeah, is. but, and, and that's why, that's exactly what Piet Pettigrew lacks. And he, that's why I don't think he's a, a, a Gryffindor because mm-hmm. he, he doesn't have that. He doesn't have, have any sense of self-sacrifice. He does, he believes that he should survive over everyone else. And that's so not Gryffindor. And he's so not like Harry well, in that aspect. I mean, like, that's, we're, I think what we're taking from this is that Slytherins aren't self-sacrificial. Whereas I think that they're just, they just have a different way of thinking of, it's, they do have, they, I feel like they do have self-sacrificial yeah. tendencies. Oh, I don't, the I don't be- think it's- The better individuals, but I feel like what we're saying is that like, none of them really care for anyone else, which is not, I don't think No, no, I'm definitely not saying See, that. See, I, I think yeah. it's the opposite. I think they care for other people, but they care for, for but they look, always look out for number one. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't yeah, necessarily, and, like, because their number one might also just be their clan, their family, their wife, their husband, their their oh, their yeah, child. Yeah. Like, they are always looking out for someone, and that essentially can be self-sacrifice. Narcissa is a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. She put her life on the line so many times to save her family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and me saying and that she's Peter, a perfect Slytherin. I don't think that Peter is Gryffindor is definitely not me saying that I think that Slytherins are bad. Yeah. Definitely, that's definitely not what I was trying to say. But no, I definitely agree that um, Narcissa is a great example yeah. of, of how Slytherins aren't mm-hmm. exactly yeah. always not self-sacrificing. Yeah. It's frustrating to discuss houses in terms of Peter Pettigrew. Yeah. Because, like, we're discussing Gryffindor yeah. versus Slytherin, whereas in the books they discuss as Gryffindor good, Slytherin bad. And we're like, no, yeah. but, like, without, without the judgment. <laughs> yeah. But without Harry talking, can we please shut Harry up for once? I love my boy. Can we shut him up for one second? Yeah. <laughs> Put him in a corner, well, and- give him a candy. He'll be fine. He'll, he'll come back. He'll try to sacrifice thing- himself. But we can discuss this without yeah. him here. <laughs> <laughs> the the other interesting thing is that like ambition is a defining Slytherin trait, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and like in some ways we see that in Pettigrew where like he always wants to be with the biggest bully, but also like he's he's unambitious enough to just live as a rat for twelve years. That's yeah. playing the long game though. It is, yeah. I, I would have to say that's more crafty and cunning. Like it's not necessarily ambition, it's his craftiness, it's cunning. 
And his ambition is to like, I feel like his ambition is to survive. Like that, it's his goal. His goal yeah. is to survive. And he is literally willing to do anything to achieve that goal, which shows his amb- like that, that is how much he values ambition. Yeah. Yeah. So, th- so this is a choice. So like once he's on the run, he goes back to Voldemort, which like it's portrayed as the only choice for him, but like, couldn't he just like go to Australia? <laughs> No, because I think he's afraid someone will find him and he, he won't could, have protection. Yeah, he'd pull a carker off. He'd end up getting killed doing that. If he abandoned Voldemort, Voldemort would totally kill him. Oh, yeah. Mm. He doesn't leave loose ends. No. Plus, he knows that this war is going to happen no matter what. So the war is going to yeah. happen. And Lupin's Lupin's out there. Sirius is out there. They'll. He's. I'm sure he's like. They'll tell Dumbledore. Harry's out there. Like, there's I'm, too much out I there. I mean, Dumbledore and Harry and Lupin and probably Sirius would not like crisscross the globe hunting down Pettigrew. Like, they got better things to do. No, but I think what his thought is. I think what his thought is is they are so against me. I got to go to the person who's against them because I got to be protected, you know? And so he's like, if I go find Voldemort and I bring him back, then all of a sudden I'm in his good graces. And then I'm protected from these other people who want me. (laughs) Yeah. I Uh, mean, so he, yeah, that's definitely something that could have been going through his mind at that point. And he has the means by which to find him, which no one else did. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know that that's true. Um, Because, like, the rumor mill is saying that he's in Albania. So, like, if you just wander the forests of Albania, like, sooner or later you'll run across Voldemort. Uh, Maybe? I don't know. I can't can't exactly disprove you because so little is said about this time. Uh, I feel like it probably would have been a lot harder to do so. Well, and he's he's kind of got a, a... He's got an edge. He's got and an in. Yeah, and it an advantage because he can talk to these rats and he can talk to these other small animals and he can communicate, you know, and that way he he can hear about this strangeness in this forest, right? Of like this dark mm-hmm. thing that is possessing small animals. And then he can be like, all right, I got this, right? I'm going to go figure this out. Yeah. And once he does find him, like, there's an interesting relationship that is between Peter Pettigrew and Voldemort, and Irvin and I differ on this. Yes. <laughs> quite, All right. quite a bit. It's about to get gross. Actually, I'm, I'm kind of tempted to not let it get too gross because I feel like it might get into, like, R-rated territory, and for our younger listeners, that's not good. So yeah, let's we we might want to keep this as PG as possible, just for the sake of 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 everyone being able to be in on the conversation. Let's Can we say, do a content warning? Like content warning. Yeah, I'm gonna say, say like warning here. We stick to the text as close as it's possible. getting gross. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the subject matter whenever it comes to Tom Riddle it always gets a bit dicey, just because of the either the stuff that he's gone through or the stuff that he causes later on. So. Mm-hmm. I, I guess the the warning just comes with the material, and I'm so sorry that I, we'll end up theorizing about things that aren't necessarily, um, I don't know, good. Yeah. Uh, but I'm gonna try to keep myself as PG. They're icky. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to keep myself as PG PG thirteen <laughs> as possible here, because I I know what we're gonna get into is kind of gross stuff with the the, re- the of baby mort basically. Like this is what we're delving yeah. into is the creation yeah. of baby so- mort. 
and how yeah. little I agree with Irvin on this. There's a reason why J.K. Rowling has not told us how this all works. Yeah. Like, literally, I was discussing this with my friends um, in London over tea, uh, and the subject came up, and I was like, I will not tell you, like, while we're drinking tea. And, like, I made them wait until, like, we were done and we left the restaurant, and then, like, okay, what is oh, it? Oh, you can, you can um, tell me while I'm drinking. You can tell me while I'm eating soup. You can tell me whenever. <laughs> yeah. What about bowling um, soup? But, okay, so... <laughs> Um, oh, do you want to start? I, Irvin, I know you have thoughts on this. Yeah. Do you want me to start uh, up or do you want to start? Um, I will, I will, uh, start up because I, I keep writing about this, um, in my Mugglenut column. I don't know quite how this became my specialty, but here we are. <laughs> uh, so Jill Rowling has said, um, I, I believe on Pottercast that there are two things that her editor made her take out of the book when she wrote them. One is how you make Horcruxes. The other uh, is how Baby Mort was created. And she says that when um, her editor heard that, she looked like she was about to vomit. Uh, So, yeah, because I told my editor what I thought happened there, and she looked as though she was going to vomit. So, uh... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. My theory is um, that basically Peter Pettigrew impregnated Bertha Jorkins uh, and Voldemort then oh, wait, I remember this. possessed Sorry. the fetus. Uh-huh. And that is how Baby Mort was created. The the not-so-gross version that people sometimes believe is that maybe Bertha Jorkins was already pregnant when they found her. But... I suppose. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, I uh, I definitely, I, I pretty strongly disagree with this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I stand in opposition, the, Irvin. That's sort of been our thing. It's sort of been me and Allison versus Grace, which is not 
our usual dynamic. Yeah, really, actually. It's okay. It's all good, guys. I love this. Yeah, I... See, I don't know about this. So, there are a few things in the text. One is Voldemort's statement that her mind and body were both damaged beyond repair. She had served her purpose. I could not possess her. I disposed of her. Um... It also goes into Voldemort's patricidal tendencies that he then kills Peter Pettigrew. Um, I mean, but that's unconnected, isn't it? It's, it's more so connected to his loyalty. Yeah. And to his his moment yeah. of mercy. I, I, Orvin, well, I yes. love the way that I, and I love the way you're thinking about this and theorizing this, but I don't see that there is enough support other than conjecture in a lot of in both of the theories yeah. that you've put forward. Um I mean, fair. Like yeah. I feel like Joe Rowling will not confirm this, but this is the version that makes the most sense um, to me. Like, I haven't heard of, a of like, a better theory for how Baby Mort is made. I don't um, know if there is, like, a theory. It's, apparently she has a way, but she hasn't disclosed it, and I'm fine with that, because, frankly, even now if she does disclose it... I don't Even if know. she does disclose it at this point on, it's not part of the book, so in my opinion, it's not canon. How Voldemort has and honestly, has I don't Voldemort know. has been portrayed <laughs> well, because- on the page from from the time that we are introduced to him to the time that he kicks it in book seven, he has never seemed likely to refer to to like any sort of human action as something as he something that he wants to have committed for him or to him. So I feel like him telling Peter Pettigrew to rape a woman so he can get a body doesn't I... really make sense. Well, he says Wormtail was able to follow the instructions I gave him, which would return me to a rudimentary weak body. I think of my that, but that Voldemort, Voldemort is very, very similar to Peter in the fact that he wants to survive. He will do anything mm-hmm. to survive. And if that means doing this heinous act or since he can't do it himself, instructing someone to do this heinous act in order to get him a body so that he can there then transform himself into a human after this soup is made or whatever, then that's what he's going to do. So I honestly don't think that it would be yeah. outside of Voldemort's, I don't know, realm of possibility yeah. to, be, to do something like this. To be honest with you, Because Voldemort mentioned several times that he will settle um, – to, he will settle for whatever he has to in order to get his body back to get his life back. He said he says in Goblet of Fire, "I would settle for my old body back before chasing immortality." He's also willing to settle for the Sorcerer's Stone, uh, even in the first book, uh, even though he doesn't want to be reliant on the elixir of life. Okay, understandable. So Voldemort is a pragmatist. Understandable. He is he is a pragmatist, and I just wanna I just wanna say here. He, he insisted on not settling when it came to Harry. He literally could have had a body back very quickly from that point onward, but he insisted on having his way and having the most powerful magic. And I feel like this is very telling of the way that he approaches any given problematic situation. I think that Harry that is he, a soft spot for him. Honestly. Well, also, that's only waiting another year um, to make himself much, much more powerful. But, like, Mm -hmm. assuming there aren't really other ways to create a gross baby body, like... I I think there are. I think there's some magical means. That's very I really do, and I agree with Allison on this. I think that he... Go ahead, go ahead, Allison. I I think it's... It's some sort of magical... I don't think there's any physicality he had anyone else doing here. I think it's magical means that's so extremely unnatural that, like, it's horrifying. Um, and what would that be? 
And we see we see Tom Riddle. We don't know, you know, because we we know that Voldemort has dabbled in some extremely dark and dangerous things. So so, what well, could be more horrifying extent, than rape? Know. Yeah, and we're also given the implication that you can't create like life, you know, humans out of nothing. Yeah. Yes, but I think there's that implication that he's not entirely human. Can I can I just say maybe we should need to take a step back when it comes to Tom Riddle. And when we come in these situations where we're presented with heinous acts that may or may not have occurred, I always ask the question, um, is, does it come back to his self-preservation and power? And does it come back to preventing this fear that he had in, like, sort of internalized as a child? Is it self-reliant? He is a self-reliant individual. We've seen so many times of him refusing help from others because he just wants to be able to do it himself and depend on his own power. And he also does not really believe in in um, like the the dependency of parenthood. He thought his mother was weak for dying, and he thought his father was mm-hmm. weak. For number one, rejecting him, and number two, not being able to cast any magic whatsoever. And, and I, don't, that, I don't think he. And had that's any why other he disposes choice. of the baby. So I don't body. think that I don't think that he would like to rely on any natural means because he sees yeah. the only one that can bring him to power is himself. So he would not want and another set of parents. Is weakness to him. I don't think he has any other choice. Humanity though. is weakness. Yeah, beggars can't be choosers. Oh, I don't think he yeah, has- no, Irvin, Irvin, I, I will, I will cut you off there. He has never once seen himself as a beggar, even when he has been mm-hmm. poor enough to be a beggar. So but I don't I will- think he no, has but a he choice. has said that he will settle for things. Settling when he needs is to. not begging. He will not settle. And I don't think I think he did. Hey, he, he literally did said choose. I would settle. I think though, I think we we have to think about uh the sorcerer's stone in a different way. I think the sorcerer's stone is such a powerfully magical object. It could have provided he talks about he's less than a spirit, less than the meanest ghost, but the Sorcerer's Stone would have provided him almost like a solidified form. Does that make yeah. sense? Um, and I think that he would have accepted until he could have gotten this potion. And I think belt. that he would he would accept this rudimentary form of a body until he can get something better. I honestly don't think he had a choice. Exactly. I think that he, yeah. he – it was either, you know, have no body and no – way of of you know solid form whatsoever or let peter pettigrew do this thing for him this one time so that he could take that one step closer to being a full-grown human snake man i mean in the end bottom line is it's all theorizing like none of us are correct here and none of us are are even wrong here um i just think that what we've seen from him he seems to me very sex repulsed and I don't think that this would be the first thing that he chooses or anything that he relies on to regain his power. Just tell that to Delphi. And I think, <laughs> well, that's a different story. I have theories on that. But tell that to who? There. Um, Delphi. Oh, yeah. That's a that's a whole nother <laughs> can of worms. Yeah, a, I have gone through my other. theories on that. It's fine. Um, I Like I said, I think he sees humanity and anything that makes people human as weakness. Yeah. yeah. Because humans, an essential part of humanity and the human experience is mortality, mm-hmm. right? Is that, that fact of life. 
And I think he would avoid that if he could at any cost. Yeah, yes, he no doesn't want to be among could. the masses. Absolutely, Allison. If he could is the operative word. I 100% agree with and you that if Voldemort had any other options available to him, he would happily take that other option. I believe he did. But, but how do we know he doesn't? Because the text suggests that this how is what he does. How do we know there's not some magical way? He can't even perform magic in this state. He has to have Pett- Pettigrew perform magic he, for he him. He needs a body. Yes, but Pettigrew can follow the instructions. Yeah, but what if he's not strong enough to create this dark magic to get him this body out I mean, of nothing? His, his, yeah, his yeah being you, you need a body itself, to drop into the potion. His being within itself is made of magic. And his, it's, this, is, this is all semantics. We can't really get into the details on this because we don't know what or what he wasn't capable of. Yeah. But uh, my theory is that his mind doesn't work in the way where he would present this as uh, an option. And Irvin, yours, your theory is that it does, and that's fine. Maybe Pettigrew. I just think, it. uh, ugh, I that <laughs> I couldn't say. I I don't think so, but um, yeah. I mean, if it, it doesn't I, I really just, align I just with self preservation too much, I think it speaks to Pettigrew to sort of bring it back to the topic of the episode. <laughs> I think, my, <laughs> no, like, my like my understanding of Pettigrew um is informed by this that like he would do this to Bertha Jorkins and sacrifice her to bring Voldemort back because he views Voldemort as the path to self-preservation. And I feel like that is a damning indictment of Pettigrew, and I feel like it makes sense with everything else I know of him. I mean, I've I've never seen this as a possibility, so I don't really think this is a reflection of Pettigrew. To be honest with you, I really just think he's the he's the order follower and yes man in the situation. Um I, I but the one thing we know he, he might want to prove he himself do, to Voldemort. Yeah. But it, but the one thing we know he does do is he sacrifices his own hand. Mm-hmm. Semi unwillingly. I will say that. Yes. Because we we know for sure it's semi unwillingly because Harry talks about how he's shaking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Harry figures out what's gonna happen and is like, I it's am a not big watching yikes. this. Which like mm-hmm. I get you, Harry. Mm-hmm. Like, I got you, my right. boy. <laughs> like for real. Um like, when people in movies and stuff, you know, when people, like, cut their hand open for yeah. whatever, I'm always like... I'm oh, I, I, I always, like, <laughs> look away. Happening. I can't. I can't do it. I, <laughs> I it's, am so squeamish. Yeah, I'm super squeamish. I can't stand that but, stuff. Um, also, Voldemort has a sense of humor, a task many of my followers would give their right hand for. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> it's true. Good on you, dude. <laughs> yeah. But it's also interesting here because I think that this uh, situation shows us exactly what Voldemort thinks of Wormtail because he makes him wait, right? Voldemort rises and Pettigrew comes up to him with his hand out or his like arm out and says, thank you. Right? And he's like, no, Wormtail, not your right arm, your left arm. I'm calling everyone here and I'm going to make you wait in agony Oh, for quite a while. So- until I do something for the, you. Um, the reason for that, w- that I think, is Voldemort is putting on a show for the Death Eaters. Oh, he like, is. Like, we, we've gone over this many times. How so he's many staging, times. like, a full-blown, like, Broadway musical for the Death Eaters. Yeah, right but there. I think, I think um, it's so both I think, things. I think he's punishing Wormtail. A little bit. But I think more of that is um, showing the Death Eaters of, like, look, Wormtail, traitorous and worthless though he is, came back and helped me. Look at how he is rewarded. He wanted to show that process of Wormtail being rewarded for loyalty to the other Death I could, Eaters. I could jab at that. But, and, and I think it's, it's amazing too, because it's, it's again, Voldemort's way of saying something is a reward when it is actually going to turn 
into something terrible, well, right? Okay. It's my same thing. Yes. It's my yes. same thing with Delphi, right? Where my theory is that Delphi was supposedly presented to Bellatrix in whatever way that happened as this a just reward got that he was going to become a burden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't, you, okay. Whatever. Like, I've talked about this before. <laughs> I did not get into details yeah. there. <laughs> um, but, like, I, it's it's a similar thing, right? Where where it is, it is almost in some ways a fail-safe against that person. It is going to be a burden. Because that hand, he says, this is your reward for doing this. But the second that Wormtail has a moment of hesitation, that hand turns against him and suddenly becomes a great uh, burden yes. and antagonist, okay. right? Yes. I, I, I'm once again doing my Hermione hand thing. Um, okay, go ahead. So, I'm done. Well, I mean, I don't believe in Delphi, <laughs> For now. so I'm gonna um, <laughs> I don't believe in Delphi. go right past that. Uh, but with the hand thing, like, Voldemort um, is, like, at the forefront of Voldemort's mind, always, is that Wormtail can betray him. Literally, as he is giving him this hand, he says, May your loyalty never waver again, Wormtail. He's literally reminding Pettigrew of oh, yeah. the Marauder's nickname, of whom he betrayed, as he's saying, May your loyalty never waver again. Mm -hmm. And he gives him the hand... And, like, that is literally a warning. That is, like, you know, a disclaimer on a product is, you know, you can enjoy this product if your loyalty never wavers again. Um, but, like, it, it is brilliant on Voldemort's part because Voldemort covers his bases with Wormtail. Like, if Wormtail's loyalty doesn't waver, good. Lives a long, happy life with his silver hand and all that. But the minute it does... Yeah. Takes yeah. him out. It's very brilliant. And can we talk about, too... Can we talk about, too, how... Pretty much after the moment of his betrayal that comes up, he has only ever really referred to as Wormtail ever again. And it's fascinating because, again, that is his direct connection to his rat form. It's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Right? I did wonder about like, that when I read it. Only ever yeah, he's only ever really referred to from that point onward as Wormtail, as his rat form. And not only his rat form, like, but a nickname that was given to him by people who are on the opposite side. People who they yes, want yeah. killed, who they do end up killing, and people who they don't trust. So I always thought it was interesting that the Death Eaters called him Wormtail to begin with. But Harry does too. Yeah. Like, that's all anybody on the other side, like, at all. Harry, yeah, Harry, the way all Harry refers to, to all the Marauders is just weird and inconsistent. It's it's really like, strange. Sirius is always serious. Lupin No 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 no. Lupin. No no no. Sirius is black until the truth comes out and yes. then he's serious. Lupin is Lupin when he's a professor. Once they get older and start seeing him more as a friend, he becomes Remus. No, no, no. He only becomes yeah. Remus um when Harry talks. In Harry's mind, the narration, he's always Lupin. And even when talking about him in the third person, um in Deathly Hallows, they just, they say Lupin. Either way, he doesn't he doesn't refer to any of them as Mooney or Padfoot. Yeah. Like he doesn't do that, so it is kind of yeah. weird. He Steer doesn't even use Padfoot when he's talking about Sirius in, in like sneakily, yeah. right? He uses snuffles. Yeah. Steering this back to <laughs> which I think yeah. is steering this back to Pettigrew a bit, though. Uh, why do you think it is that the Death Eaters refer to him as Wormtail? Is it supposed to be like a reminder of his betrayal? Um. I think they're following Voldemort's lead, Probably. and Voldemort yeah. is needling that. Um, I think it has to do with his rat. He form. was a rat for 13 years. I mean, that's probably yeah. what they think of when they, uh, first but when they think not, of him. The Death Eaters don't all know that he's a rat. No, no, no. But I, th I think it, it, it's 
it is a little like dehumanizing him. Absolutely. By referring yeah. to him as just that, you know, and he, any, any of the, the boy Peter Pettigrew who was best friends with James Potter series, Black and Remus Lupin is gone. He is now just this rat form, I think, in their view. Um, but Wormtail is also what they called him. But too. he's almost never a rat in front of them, though. I th- I think Irvin might be on to think something in saying that, like, they're literally just following Voldemort's lead. Yeah, but I think that's part of where Voldemort's coming from. Well, yeah, that could very possibly be it. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah. Where are we at um, here? I so, have a lot of notes on uh, how they... We're up to um, post-resurrection of they Voldemort. I mean, yeah, I mean, um, there's so many notes as to, like, how they interact with each other and how they play off of one another. Yeah. Uh, it's just, like, Peter is always looking for protection from Tom, and Tom is uh, always expecting loyalty in return, which, yeah. I mean, he does get I'm, most of the time. I mean, so. I don't know. I don't know. I still don't think that Pettigrew is capable of loyalty. I don't. I don't think that loyalty is what he's showing Voldemort. I think it's it's uh, yeah, fear. Okay. It's it's, it's fear. doing things out of fear. And the second that that like somebody else gives him a different a better deal, that he would you know it, it he wouldn't do it anymore. Yeah, I think if I think if Dumbledore offered him amnesty, like he'd turn code in a heartbeat. Probably, but this is mm-hmm. this is also the question of like this is what Tom wanted. Like this is literally why he changed his face why he gathered followers around him. He never wanted, like, love and true loyalty. He felt fear was the only thing he could probably depend on. So... Mm -hmm. But fear doesn't make someone necessarily a close follower, right? Fear means someone can turn on you quickly. What Voldemort, I think, wants is people more along the lines of Bellatrix, right? Devotion. Yeah, devotion. He doesn't... But... But, you know, I'm going to disagree with you because during that um, Goblet of Fire musical, um, <laughs> he 
he is cruel to the Death Eaters. He very much tries to inspire fear because he performs the Cruciatus Curse on Avery. Um, and then mm-hmm. he holds up Pettigrew as an example of, like, if you are loyal, this is what you yeah, get. Yeah, he literally tells uh, them, I admit myself disappointed at the lot yes. of them. But there's there's fear that then inspires awe at how powerful he is, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas Pettigrew's fear is just straight up, like, terrified fear, which could easily switch to him then running away, right? Going to the opposite yeah. side. Whereas I think the other Death Eaters, it's fear at how powerful he is, which then creates in them some sort of sense of awe, which yeah. then makes them more devoted, well, right? It, it, and it's part of um, how Voldemort doesn't really plan for the worst case scenarios. Like, in Voldemort's mind, he's like, I have a body now. I am immortal and powerful. And as long as that is the case... Fear is enough to guarantee the Death Eater's loyalty. Well, I mean, this um, is, he doesn't, there isn't anything aside from the blind devotion of Bellatrix, which I don't think he can completely wrap his mind around because he doesn't really understand exactly why she's attracted to him. But, um. Oh, but I think that's his favorite, though, that blind devotion. I don't think so. I think literally, like, he understands fear because he's had to cause it in people all his life in order to survive. At least the way he sees it. So he wants people to fear him, like, to see him as a monstrous figure. His entire design, like, from a graphic design standpoint or from any sort of character design standpoint, his entire design is made to be inhuman and fear, like, causing. He he doesn't want Mm -hmm. people who love and are blindly devoted they want he wants these people to be in fear and blindly devoted to him which is short-sighted because as we see like if people are afraid the minute you're out of the picture and they don't have to be afraid they're like okay cool i'm gonna go live my yeah, fabulous yeah. life now and the thing is like he doesn't see any other alternative and this is like somewhat related but not i mean in terms of like the fear but i find it extremely interesting that peter still chooses to be on Voldemort's side and still chooses to help Voldemort when he is at his lowest. Because at that point, yes, I feel like he probably doesn't have any other choice because he's already betrayed the good side and they won't take him back. But at this, like during Goblet of Fire and, you know, before that, when he's still following Voldemort, this is, this is the point where Voldemort has no leverage over yeah. anybody and he mm-hmm. there's a big chance that Voldemort might not come back to full power and that he might not be the right side to choose for survival yet Peter still decides to take his side and help him bring him back to power even though it might be might not be successful and he might not have you know chosen the right side at yeah. that point and I don't know if it's could have gone to Australia yeah, and I don't know if that's literally just because if he did anything else, the good side would kill him for betraying him, betraying them. Or if there is like some other reason other than fear that he is following Voldemort. <sighs> Lots to think about guys. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot. My head's spinning a little bit. <laughs> Part of it is. So at that point, Wormtail had been a rat for 12 years. And I think he's just genuinely sick of that. So, like, his version of, like, do anything for survival now includes do anything for survival where I can, like, live as a person mm-hmm. in England. <laughs> um, and if, like, if that is the stipulation uh, for his survival, then Voldemort is the only option for him. I guess. Yeah. Uh, I found it curious that after, like, he brings um, Voldemort back and he has this, like, cool silver hand and everything, 
we don't see him in Order of the Phoenix. I know! Like, I, I was shocked. Like, the whole fandom was shocked that he was not in Order of the Phoenix. He's punted aside. Yeah. Like, he just doesn't matter. What a matter. shame, too, because it would have been so interesting to see him in action after he got the hand. Mm-hmm. Especially after yeah. Sirius dies, um, how much, like, all of, it would be interesting to see all of Harry's anger toward pedigree because i'm sure that he blames him for a lot of this yeah mm-hmm. i think though harry i think harry pities pedigree in a lot I of ways i could believe that our, our boy is a good mm-hmm. boy he's a good good lad yeah. he is and he he has a tendency to look for the best in people more than anything yeah. else and i think he pities him and this shows how little voldemort actually thinks of him because like Voldemort is not exactly dealing with, like, an army of Bellatry right now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he, I, I love this sends, phrasing. Like, That's really good. <laughs> thank you. Uh, basically, in in the Dancing Death Eaters, we have a routine with, like, all the girls as Bellatrix, all the guys as Voldemort, so we need the plural of Bellatrix. Bellatrix. So I'm like, okay, the Bellatry on the inside, the Voldemort's on the outside. Oh my god, that's so great. Thank you. Gold. Thank you very much. Um, but yeah, like, basically, like, he, Voldemort will send Crab and Goyle as, like, you know, his, like, A-team, and Wormtail is kept back, and I'm like, that says a lot. Yeah, big yikes. <laughs> he, he doesn't trust Crab him. and Goyle are another duo that I'd love to talk about. Yeah. Maybe that says something about me, that I just, like, want to talk about all these, like, background Death Eaters. <laughs> Rookwood <laughs> and Crab and Goyle. Okay, alright, sorry, I'm getting off topic here. Uh, so he's roommates yeah. with Snape. Uh, he's like not in the book at all, which lame. I would love to see him. Uh, we get to yeah. the end of the the full story. I'm talking book seven. Wait, wait. Can we can we talk about Spinner's End first? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Because oh my <laughs> I god, think that's kind of funny. Pettigrew and Snape as roommates is a masterstroke <laughs> on Voldemort's part because it's the two people he doesn't trust who hate each other. And he's just like, you two should live together and, like, report back to me on what the other one does. So they're just uh. <laughs> living together and spying on each other. Their own. And Snape is now living with the man responsible for Lily's death. And now Snape knows it. And I am amazed Wormtail survived. Well, like <laughs> Snape blames himself for that. So, like, what's he gonna do? I mean, <laughs> like, Snape could 100% kill him and make okay. it look like an accident. Let's, let's, let's not... Like, listen, there, there was a magical rat trap. I guess he was transformed and just... Ooh, I mean, yes, yes, he was responsible, but let's not go ignoring Tommy Boy here. Like, it was definitely Tom's doing that Lily died. Well, Snape can't exactly, like, kill Voldemort, and Snape also is not living with Voldemort. (laughs) Imagine that. Holy crap. That is the sitcom I would pay to see. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, man. Good times, guys. Um, All right. So, uh, good sitcom, Roommates with Snape. So let's now skip yes. to the end of the story where he actually uh, does the thing. He he finishes yes. this ring, if you will, to bring yes. it back to ring theory. Um, he kills. He's killed by Voldemort, technically, with a uh, uh, silver hand. And I see. Th- yeah, this is perfect. Like Pettigrew's death scene is such a. It, oh it's yeah, the best writing. Oh, I can't even. It is. Oh my gosh. And I just mm, can we just read read the whole <laughs> like quote because it's just yeah, you know ahead. what i think we should absolutely um crack it on out so pettigrew is choking harry um uh to death and you're going to kill me harry choked attempting to prize off the metal fingers 
after I saved your life, you owe me, Wormtail. The Silver Fingers. Which, by the way, first of all, like, Harry, man. Right. Harry's got guts, man. I love Harry. He's cashing in his chips. He's, he's trying to, anyway. He's reminding the author, hey, he owes me, though. Yeah. <laughs> hey, God. The, sil- <laughs> the Silver Fingers slackened. Harry had not expected it. He wrenched himself free, astonished, keeping his hand over Wormtail's mouth to, like, stop him from screaming. He saw the rat-like man's small, watery eyes widen with fear and surprise. He seemed just as shocked at Harry at what his hand had done, at the tiny, merciful impulse it had betrayed. And he continued to struggle more powerfully, as though to undo that moment of weakness. So then, um... Pettigrew's own silver fingers were moving inexorably toward his own throat. No! Without pausing to think, Harry tried to drag back the hand, but there was no stopping it. The silver tool that that Voldemort had given his most cowardly servant had turned upon its disarmed and useless owner. Pettigrew was reaping his reward for his hesitation, his moment of pity. He was being strangled before their eyes. Also, can we talk about this being, like, the most blatantly stated thematic material of these entire books? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was a little heavy-handed. Like, she just straight out comes here and is just like, this is he his was, reward He was reaping this. a... Re- hey, guys, guess what? I put this in here so that he dies at the end. <laughs> <laughs> whisper, well, whisper, whisper. It's so... It's so fucking brilliant it's because, like, so good. the the life debt, right? Um, Harry like d- um spares Wormtail's life in Prisoner of Azkaban, and Dumbledore's like, "Well, you know, you may be grateful you did one day." And I remember before Deathly Hallows, everyone had all these theories about how like Harry would cash in the life debt, and this like powerful magic yeah. would like f- you know do all the things. And instead, it's not magic; it is just like a moment of pity, human nature. Yeah. Like, but it is magic. It is magic, in some ways, right? It, it, it's magic on on the fact that it, it shows just what who Voldemort is, right? Yeah. The, oh, it's, <laughs> it's an interesting state of affairs. I feel like I was probably on the spectrum of like expecting this reveal to be a little bit cooler. Um, <laughs> but to be honest with you, I think that the 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 de- the in-depth look at humanity and like the difference between how Voldemort just can't seem to understand uh like a loving heart or mercy um it's it just shows so much more here i just feel like yeah this pettigrew as a character could have been used a lot better i feel like they kind of, i feel like <laughs> at the end and maybe i'm forgetting parts of it which you know it's possible but maybe, like, I feel like he was just kind of rolled in at the end in order to get killed and get that out. Like, check mark, that's out of the way. Pettigrew had to die. Okay, it's done. Life debt, but done. No, okay, good. No. Bye. That, no. That is so. Joe Rowling's final word on the theme of revenge and mercy in this mm-hmm. series. So, I wrote a trilogy of essays a million years ago now um, about the theme of revenge in the Harry Potter books. Because... Um, unusually for a fantasy novel, no one gets the opportunity to exact their revenge. Mm -hmm. Um, in the Harry Potter series, like, Neville doesn't get to kill Bellatrix, like, none of those. The one exception, um, sorry, the two exceptions are Harry and Hermione. Hermione gets the opportunity to enact her revenges, and she does. Mm -hmm. Um, and it seems great for a while. Like, Rita Skeeter is silenced, Umbridge is carted off, you know, um, out of Hogwarts, and it's great. Harry has the opportunity for revenge against Pettigrew, but doesn't take it. 
he shows mercy. And then, a year later, Wormtail ties him up, takes his blood, and brings back Voldemort. And we're like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, so, so you show mercy and that happens? But then, 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 in Deathly Hallows, all of Hermione's revenges come back to bite her in the ass. Rita Skeeter publishes a book about Dumbledore. Umbridge has the Muggleborn Registration Commission. Whereas Harry's mercy also comes through. And because of Harry's mercy, Wormtail is, doesn't kill him, dies himself. And that's what saves the trio. And that is Jorling's final word on mercy being better than revenge. Interesting. I like, I like this theory. I like this, this uh, observation. I guess. Thank you very much. Well, uh, I think I think it's interesting too that um, it's almost like a, a lesson in patience too, yes. right? Like when when we get from so we're like okay, the end of the Prisoner of Azkaban, Harry lets him go, whatever, and then we get to Goblet of Fire, and we're like, Harry, what a mistake you made last year, right? Yeah. But then we get to Deathly Hallows, and then we see the full coming around of this like idea right and it's like oh it wasn't a mistake for him to do that right mm-hmm. it, it's it's not a mistake the way we thought after goblet of fire and i think harry was probably thinking after yep. goblet of fire like what did i do <laughs> yeah. that right i mean hell harry's thinking but, that in prisoner of Azkaban. he's like damn it i let him go that's gonna be bad yeah i i just i think it's interesting i think i was expecting something different i like the sort of like small humanity of it and i like the proof that there might have actually been something something of humanity left in him which is like completely yeah. opposite from what you see of a lot of the the Death Eater styled characters. Um, I I think that I I just when it comes to Pettigrew, I feel like he could have been in more scenes, and that probably would have made this end a bit more satisfying oh, yeah. to me. I feel like his character wasn't fully used to the extent that like I wanted it to be, but. I mean, I'll agree. Yeah. Uh, like, I wish we'd seen more of him. But it's an interesting thing about all the Death Eaters because Joe Rowling has said that Voldemort is the only irredeemable character in the series. So, like, all the Death Eaters are not redeemed, but are redeemable. Um, and she does this by showing that all of them have some small shred of humanity left in them, right? So, like, you know, the Malfoys um, care about each other. Draco can't kill Dumbledore. Narcissa, you know, risks everything for Draco. Bellatrix cares about Narcissa. That's her small shred of humanity. And this is Peter Pettigrew's small shred of humanity that makes him redeemable, but not... And I think that I'm not exactly convinced that, you know, it's just humanity alone. I think that in this one small moment, we, we know that Pettigrew's... The extreme end goal is survival, right? And we know that he, mm-hmm. I think he realizes in this one moment that he would not be where he is standing right now if it had not been for Harry, which means that Harry was essential to his survival. Because if Harry mm-hmm. had not had told them, go ahead, kill him, he would be dead. And so I think he realizes like in that small moment, Harry helped me survive. Maybe I should do the same for him mm-hmm. because yep. I understand how much, how, how much survival means to me. And, um, you know, he, he helped me survive. So maybe I should do the same. And in that one small moment of weakness, weakness, he pays for it. And so I think that 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Um, I'm not exactly sure. I guess part of that could be humanity, you know, the, the wanting to reciprocate the survival. But I do think that more so it's him just realizing that he would not have reached his ultimate goal and be where he is right now without Harry. And that's what caused the hesitation. Yeah. Interesting. Re- yeah, thoughts. really. That is the only loyalty we see from Pettigrew yeah. in the whole series yeah. is to Harry in that moment. And Harry throws it in his face. Like, <laughs> you owe me? Like... Harry is never like that with him. Yeah. I think he knows I mean, it'll it's, work. I, mean, like- <laughs> I feel like someone needed a rude awakening, and it certainly happened in a in a quite a violent way. But um, I also feel like Rowling. Why would you add in a character that's irredeemable? Like, what what is what's your end goal here? Like, what what you doing with Tom? Villains are villains sometimes, and that yeah. is okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm not going to go on my whole <laughs> rant about this whole, like, let's make villains sympathetic trend because I'm sick of the trend. Yeah. Maybe maybe but it's like, just because I, I love studying the psychology of it that I just get so no, interested in understanding it. them, but I feel like a lot of it... Okay, this is a total side note. But, like, understanding why, sure, that's fine. Yeah. But trying to make them sympathetic and be like, they're evil because of something like this. When it's like, most of the time it's a choice. Like, yeah. I, I go back to this all the time where it's like, one of the best villain origin stories, and it reminds me of Voldemort's, is um, from the Lunar Chronicles, yes. where she has a whole she has a whole novella about the villain, but she does not excuse the villain's actions. She does not absolve the villain by saying, "Oh, but look at what happened." So of course, their choices that would happen. Like, yeah, like Levana's life sucked. And she's still a villain. I think it's possible to make a villain sympathetic without excusing their actions. I, I just find most of the time it trends towards, like, yeah. 
excusing like action it, it's anymore. the it's the once upon a time paradigm oh right true, true, the true. abc yeah. show yeah. once upon a time where like their whole shtick was like evil isn't born it's made through like bad parenting but then there is one twist in once upon a time that i thought was the most brilliant thing where cruella Deville. There's an episode on Cruella Deville's origin story, and like oh, we think that it's like you know, oh, she, you know, she had a tough mom or a lost love and all that, and then no, the twist is that Cruella Deville is just a psychopath. She's just evil. Yeah. And and I remember watching that episode. I'm like, oh snap! Which is why, which is why I'm so anti this like Disney making all these movies about villains because oh, I'm like, I love it. I really have a lot of. Fun I gotta with say, that. I did love Maleficent the first evil, one. I find evil I to be it, more. But interesting when we know where it's coming from because i find i find evil for evil's sake or just being you know wanting to kill people just because you know you feel like it like that's not interesting so i think that the the trend of that's no. why i think it's interesting to know more about the villains and i think that you know maybe showing why they are the way they are or how they turned out the way that they did I don't. I, I. don't think that means that you're excusing their actions. Like you can. Absolutely you can not. understand why someone is a psychopath yeah, well, or why someone is a murderer and not think that the thing that murdering someone is okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no, and definitely. And I think when it's done right, that that's fine, you know. But I think a lot of it, it's become more apologist. More. Than it's a. It's else. a fine yeah. line you're dancing on, right? It's just I find yeah, that a lot. Yeah. With, yeah. Uh, like studying Tom Riddle. Is just um, I have to be very careful because I have gotten a lot of people who are like, oh, what are you trying to excuse this? No, no, you're never trying to excuse anything. You have to fully embrace the fact that like this character is horrible. Yeah. Yeah. But you also have to take a look and say, I want to understand why, though. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and and that's that's the line I had to toe in my Dumbledore book because like people have very strong feelings about Dumbledore <laughs> these days, and like a thing I was very conscious of was like I'm trying to lay out like the facts as I see them of like what he knew and what he did. Like you know, here's what happened. Here was his motivation, and then at the end, I'm just like, and now you can judge that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that, guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Qu- question for you guys: Could. <laughs> Could Pettigrew have been redeemed? Yes, I think so. I think that if he had shown true res- true remorse for betraying his friends and realized that, you know, Harry is on the right side of things and realized that he had ruined this this kid's life and done all these awful things and apologized for it, then I think he probably could have been redeemed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was actually even just thinking when we were talking about this, and I just didn't want to go off on a theory, but how cool would it have been if once uh, Pettigrew actually, like, found Voldemort, he just, like, tells Dumbledore, is like, hey, I found him, can I come back? You can have him. <laughs> I remember, I mean, there was one fanfic I read. That would be so um, good. There's always one fanfic. There's always one, guys. <laughs> There's always one. There's always one. Um, so it it's um it takes place after year five. So it's like year six. Um and so Pettigrew and Trelawney go into hiding together what? and like just try to make each what? other better. Um it it was it was really weird. Um I shipped Pettigrew Trelawney for like a hot minute after that. Hey, what? look, <laughs> I'm not blaming Listen, anyone fan, fan for fic. their ships. Okay, we all got our thing. Oh my god! There's some very good writers out there. It, it, like that's like it was very compelling. Like they got oh, me. Good on them too. Like this is yeah. the thing. Like Trelawney's actually an arguably much better character than Peter is. 
but yes. um, it sounds interesting to me. I don't know if I'd have the time to read it these days, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't find it. I read that like 15 years ago, <laughs> uh, but, but it was very good and clearly made an impression. <laughs> that is, that is um, crazy. I never would have even yeah. thought of that. Talk of um, ye olden days of fandom. There were so <laughs> many awesome theories about Pettigrew, and I just thought I'd run down a few. Um, so first of all, we mentioned Pierce Pocus, um, who is one of Dudley's gang members, who is described as having a rat-like face and shares Peter Pettigrew's initials, and everyone was like, like, that's gotta be Peter Pettigrew's kid, right? Like, there's, there's no. no doubt about it. <laughs> but another, then- Was it James Evans? <laughs> just gonna say no. Wasn't that yeah, another Mark red herring that's out there? But then it gets better, uh, because over on the Leaky Cauldron, many, many years ago, there was an essay called The Half-Blood Squib by H.P. Nutter, which, don't dismiss it because of the name, <laughs> uh, that theorized that Pettigrew was Dudley's real father. No. And, uh, Allison, read the essay because it is very compelling, and, like, no. they lay out a very good case. Hey, look, I Listen. trust the fandom to do crazy stuff like this. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I love them. guys, you can have good rhetoric and have ideas that are just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is the this is a side of fandom that I flourish in. These insane people. Good, good right, on you Right, exactly. Guys. Like, this is, this is my happy place. This is this is our um, happy place. We, we just yeah. sit together here and love all the insanity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh... One theory that does not have to do with Pettigrew's paternity, because it always somehow seems to come back to that. Um, everyone was convinced that Pettigrew was going to kill Lupin in Deathly Hallows because of his that silver hand and see. silver kills werewolves. Interesting. Yeah, that one, that one, I think is a compelling case. But like, come on, guys. <laughs> I mean, I think Dudley's real father is a much better argument because there's more to it than just silver kills werewolves. But like, okay. what you don't think that that Peter could take down Lupin? Is that what is that what this is? I mean, in my fanfic version of the seventh book, Pettigrew was about to kill Lupin with a silver hand, and that's when Harry called in the life debt. So see, but it would it would make sense, I think, because in some ways that it would mean that Pettigrew is basically responsible for all of the morale. That would have been like really horrifying, but slightly poetic. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, something I find interesting about, uh, Wormtail is that he's the only character in the series that everyone can agree on. That, like, everyone in the Wizarding World has the exact same opinion of him. Like, good side, bad side, Marauders, Death Eaters, literally everyone thinks he's scum. It's true. Yeah. I know, there's no argument um, against this. Literally, like, the, every single part in the book is just like, yeah, and Peter, that guy's real crappy, though. <laughs> Don't yeah, like yeah. him. Ha <laughs> uh, and, like, part of this is just Joe Rowling's biases, because she said in an interview once, like, I loathe a traitor. But, like, yeah, I just found that interesting that we've just spent two hours discussing a character that everyone in the Wizarding World hates. Everybody hates him because he is the <laughs> yeah, worst. Yeah, I think, I think yep. the word scum is usually highly associated with him. Yep. God, there's so much, there's so much lost potential in this character too. And it it makes me depressed because I feel like there was a lot that could have been done with him. There's, there's always a billion questions in my brain of like, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, if? like, what if it hadn't been the way it was, you know? Yeah. Whereas like, I'm so happy with Pettigrew's character. Like, I think, like, we have exactly enough information to know what I want to know about him. And like, he serves like all the thematic purposes and 
he's a good character who's just the worst. No, and, oh yeah, god, I, I need to know everything though. Irvin, like, you don't I understand. wish I wish we had some more Yeah, I wish we had more extra canonical information about him, but like in the books, I think he's weird. I mean, I wish we had more extra canonical information from 2007, not now. So <laughs> Too little, too late. Yeah, I mean, even with me, like, extra canonical information doesn't really matter because I don't really believe in anything outside the books. So, like, even if we did get more stuff now, it's it's basically, like, hit or miss as to whether or not you want to include it in your own mental head canon or uh, mental canon material, you know? Mm-hmm. But that's a different yeah. story. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We're past two hours, so... I'm sorry! Let's wrap it up. Okay. Uh, so... Who's, yeah. Um, is is that our wrap up? Is that <laughs> Pettigrew scum? Yeah. So in conclusion, Pettigrew is the worst. The end. Oh no. <laughs> well, okay. And the person who is not the worst, though, is our lovely guest Helene. So thank <laughs> you Helene for joining was us. <laughs> yeah, Helene, um, you were great. Um, you were awesome. This was a great discussion. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I had a lot of fun. Uh, th- I never really thought we'd have this much to talk about about that character. So we got kind of heated. On this. I was not expecting <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, this was like a surprisingly contentious debate with like not the usual battle lines. I know it was actually kind of fun you guys it was good yeah you guys did wonderful I always feel like just I feel like I, I've uh, I've uncovered just a little bit of your brilliance and I've, I've taken it away from this podcast every time that's what we do here yes and I can't wait to hear the brilliance of all our commenters but in the meantime we just want to let you know that the next episode is going to be a surprise to celebrate our 300th episode. Woo! Guys, 300. It's like I'm I'm the That is damn impressive. I'm the newest host here so I'm just like, "Hey, cool." I mean, I mean I'm also very very new. I've been here less than a year, I know. but I'm still like <laughs> 300, mm-hmm. you guys. Impressive. So and here's to 300 more. Yeah, 300 more where you could all actually <gasps> oh. be on the show if you'd like. So go ahead Visit our website at alohomorapodcast.com and choose the Be On The Show option. Follow the instructions and send us your audition. Please don't forget to send the audio sample. We we do need the audio sample with it. Uh, You need a microphone and a pair of headphones. And if you're chosen to be a guest, we'll walk you through all of the rest. So uh, while you're on the website, be sure to visit the topic submit page and tell us what you'd like to hear on any future episodes. Because we do need, we do keep a running list. So, Mm mm-hmm. And if you just want to get in contact with us to, I don't know, get mad at us for some thing for, for defending Peter Pettigrew, I'm sure. I'm so sorry, guys, but I had to stand sure. up and do it. I mean, you could come join me in the Peter Pevensey fan club, too. But that's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like contact us on social media and we'll talk about how great Peter, Peter Pevensey is. Yeah, we'll do Who's that. Peter anyway, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram from Narnia. Oh, I'm so- I didn't read those. I'm sorry. <gasps> I know. I know. I'm sorry. I didn't do it. And and you haven't watched the movies then? I, I did watch the movies, but I've forgotten all of it. Actually, what's funny <gasps> is that we were re-watching Lord of the Rings last night, which I thoroughly enjoy. I did read those, so there. <laughs> it was fun. 
Okay, this is totally another topic of conversation, but I'm making sure. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at AlohomoraMN, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Open the Dumbledore, at AlohomoraPodcast.com, on YouTube.com slash AlohomoraMN, on Spotify, we are AlohomoraMN, and we have playlists. Um, you can find our general feed, or you can find our super cool playlist for whatever you're looking for if you're intimidated by almost 300 episodes, which, like, I don't blame you. <laughs> or you can email us at alohomorepodcast at gmail.com. And one more reminder to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash alohomora. Thanks again to Ashley for sponsoring this episode. I, I can't get over Ashley's name. Yay! Ashley, you're brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So... Also, Ashley, come back to the comment boards on alohomorepodcast.com. I, I miss all your comments. <laughs> Um, and listeners, you too can sponsor us for as low as $1 a month, and be sure to check out our higher tiers for access to Dumbledore's office, episode sponsoring decals, dance classes, hello, <laughs> and much more to come. Uh, uh, thanks so much. I've been Irvin. I've been Grace. And I'm Allison. Thank you for listening to episode 299 of Alohomora. Open the Dumbledore! Just a note to end on is one thing I find interesting about Peter Pettigrew. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm, I'm hearing. I'm sorry, there's yeah, somebody. There is a bee in my apartment, so I am just trying oh, no. to. Um, oh. Yeah. oh, sorry. I I just went to my bedroom and closed the door so that I can just like get away from it. But yeah, I don't know what to do because I don't want to get stung by a bee. Please don't get stung by a bee. Do, yeah, do yeah, we need to pause? Do you have to go take care of this? I don't know what to. Well, I mean, like. I don't really know what to do, and, um, like, my cat is, like, stalking it, and I'm scared that if my cat tries to, like, eat it, you know, he'll get sick. So I'm not exactly sure what to do, because I don't have, like, raid or anything like that. Oh, no. Just, <laughs> I mean, gently get it outside. Don't kill the bees. We need the bees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or just hide, hide in your room for a couple hours and hope it goes away. I'm so sorry. That's okay. a lot to handle. <laughs> yeah, I actually, one second. I gotta go back out for a second. Okay. Okay, sorry. Our uh, podcast has been foiled by bees! I'm There's sorry. bees everywhere! <laughs> I really, oh, really so don't close know what to the finish do. line. So close. So it's right there, guys. We should probably wind down soon, though, because it's been almost I mean, three hours. I mean, like, so. well, no, it's only been a bit over two hours that we're recording. Well, okay, but. Yes, yes. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, we're on our last point. Yeah, where are we at, guys? Helene, how you doing? I am fine. Let's once we finish it up, I'll I'll figure out what to do. I just I'm right now right. in my right. room, okay. and right. we'll figure it out. <laughs> Wrapping it up then. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.